0: Tonight we're going to talk about insertion points and canon contradictions. And here's the thing about insertion points—they're real difficult, like super difficult. Uh, <laughs> I used to have that on a, on a image on my, on Facebook. The insertion point is always a pain in the ass, and it's a hundred percent true. Uh, and honestly, it comes down to what you want to accomplish. Like There are some insertion points in various canons that are more important than others. If you want to save Sirius Black's life, you need to get your butt into the story before he falls through the veil. Or, your story becomes, how do I get Sirius Black out of the veil? There's two (laughs) different things there, right? Two different objectives. If you want to prevent the hail fire, you need to back up, get into canon before the hail fire. So, picking your insertion point um is dependent on what you want to do in your canon divergence where do you want to diverge what do you want to fix or unfix or fuck up as it may be in a canon divergence it doesn't have to be happy um although i think often it is it's not a requirement uh but um So we can look at different canons and look at um, different goals and see where the insertion point is. Um, And then talk about contradictory um, canon elements, of which my favorite is the Horcruxes. (laughs) Here's the thing about the Horcruxes. If Harry was a Horcrux, how come the Basilisk Bite didn't kill the Horcrux in him? So a fan asked J.K. Rowling this, and she said because the vessel of the Horcrux had to be completely destroyed. Okay, Joanne, the diary wasn't completely destroyed. In fact, the only horror crux that was completely destroyed was the diadem, or died. Hey, say that word, diadem died. Di- diadem. Diadem. That's the mm-hmm. only one. All the other ones were just stabbed. Right. I'm waiting, Joanne. Just just fess up. Just fess up and say you pants the fuck out of those horror cruxes after you wrote the Chamber of Secrets. It'll be OK we'll accept that Joanne it's just a moment for me it's just a moment well i mean it's a pretty significant moment and also i mean if the if 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 considering and then she later pants clearly pantsed in effects of the horcruxes right the the horcruxes had effects on people um it had to be kept it well why didn't the horcrux and harry have effects on people and the people tried to try to say that it did have effects on people but we didn't actually see any evidence of that in canon and joanne did, and joanne said that the jerseys were not impacted by any kind of magic I don't. I don't care if people are pantsers. I care if they try to say that their are pantsed with cr- something that they pantsed in that makes no sense, was something well thought out and deliberate. Own your pantsing. You can be a pantser. I don't give a shit how you get there, as long as you get there and it makes sense. And get there. Yeah, but she. Yeah, she also did say in an interview that Harry was not an abused child. I guess being kept in a cupboard and deprived of food and affection is an abuse in her world. Well, she did try that for a long time, but also. Also, Kira pants and stuff in, so do I. I didn't say, I said she pantsed in something. Kira pantsed oh, in a penguin. I did pants in a penguin. Oh, Clementine, should I apologize for that whole tangerine thing? <laughs> 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 but yeah, but often when I do pants something, it is something ridiculous like a penguin or, or a baby. A or baby. a baby. Or a she baby. Likes, she likes to pants in babies too. Now no, one her... of the babies in Small Magic was planned and one was not. I will leave you to determine which one was pantsed. Um that was not pantsed. I just didn't realize it was Mel Prague. No, I fully intended. Well, obviously, because his you know, their their children, Theseus grew his children. I mean the other ships that came. I I never I mean, that that was always in gonna be in there that their ships were actually his offspring. I just really didn't think about it when I assigned Theseus a gender. Because really he doesn't have a gender. It's a construct that's been put on him by the ancients. And he accepted it. And, he, and it's been thousands of years and he's just adapted to that. But um, as he said in uh, Atlant- uh, in Finding Atlantis, that their species doesn't have genders. Um, and that they reproduce asexually. So... <clears throat> It's only sort of male Preg. It, but it is technically male Preg because he does identify at that moment in his life as male. But it just, you know, so yeah, that's what happened. But really, the only reason Theseus is, is male is because I really wanted to cast Jared Pilecki. How do you say his last name? Pilecki. Pilecki oh, as oh, his not, avatar. No, is that who played Theseus? Mm-hmm. Well, how did I miss that? It, the older brother from Supernatural? Younger brother, but... Lung, younger? Pataki? Patakli, Patakli. The cute brunette one. I'm pretty su- sure I said it right. Patalecki, right? So, Patalecki? I, I, think, I think Margaret thinks I said it wrong. Okay. No, I think she was showing me. Oh. No, Jensen Ackles is blonde. Right? Um, Yeah, she not, was offering me no. tips. I don't really think he's blonde, though. I mean, maybe very dark blonde sometimes, only if he's been in the sun. He's pretty much a brunette. I have a lot of pictures of him where he's blonde. I think he's just gotten so busy as he's gotten older that he doesn't have any time to go outside. (laughs) 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 Let that boy out into the sun, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Or at least to a hairdresser. (laughs) Yeah. But I do have a lot of pictures of him where, where he's blonde. And I think he was blonde in Dark Angel. Or a very, very sandy brown blonde. So he might be yeah getting darker as he gets older. Um, my hair got lighter before it even started to get silver. But anyway, that was the whole reason Theseus got his name. is I wanted to put Jared in, in it. Right, see? I mean, I already had um, Jensen's. So I felt like I had to, you know, you, you make need room. To just, you need to just do something better with, with both of them. Yeah, so... I'm sure he was up to something. That's why he was sweaty. Speaking of which, um, he's the new Walker, Texas Ranger. Is it for sure? <laughs> Are you okay over there? Jared, yeah. <sighs> you know, I am actually all about the reboot of Walker, Texas Ranger because I couldn't watch the original because Chuck Norris is a dick. So, you know, it, he's hot its a plot is semi decent and they give him like there's a really hot sidekick somewhere i i told you guys that we needed a new buddy cop show this could be our show yeah chuck, chuck norris is a dick um he's a misogynist and he is um moderately racist so yeah and he's also deeply deeply republican and conservative so yeah he's he's a he's a piece of work but yeah i mean you know i want it to work well, I don't think the newer the the old storylines would work for a modern audience. It is often it's going to be on the CW. It's obviously being rebooted for a very young audience. Um, so the, they're not courting Chuck Norris's audience with this. Not on the CW, <sighs> which really worked because really terrible. Because I used to love Chuck Norris movies when I was little. One of my favorite being Lone Wolf McQuade. Yeah, and you find out people are assholes, and it just ruins right, everything. It just ruins it. I saw somebody comment on Facebook or something about how, you know, it's very people, especially the Texas Rangers in Texas, really hated the show because it was so inaccurate. I have to admit, my eyes rolled right out of my head because you could say the same thing literally about any procedural. Right. Right. But the Texas Rangers are a whole new animal. But it's like. Just like Texas is really. I have to admit, I made that, you know that you know, jerking off my head motion because I was like, big fucking deal. Didn't, didn't, all right, little snowflakes, you're you're different than every other cop in history who's been misrepresented <laughs> in media. No, I mean, the attitude. Yeah, like, I know. Texas is Texas. Uh, that's like a whole different country when you go into Texas. You've been to Texas, right? <laughs> I used to live there. Did you? Yeah. It's <laughs> like. It's not cool. In Texas, for about actually. for about five very unfortunate years, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Tangerine chips was the gospel truth. I'm sure the California Highway Patrol has no issue with that TV show. I mean, I, they can reboot chips if they put two hot guys in it. <laughs> I'm just saying that we need a new buddy cop show. Absolutely, I'm. act at, chips could be good.
1: I and mean, really,
0: you know, Jared, and the cowboy hat, and the buckle, and the boots, and some jeans. I'm, I, I'm there for it. Who's his co-star? Can we have more than one? Can they all be hot? What? I'm an old lady, and I'm vain, and I'm here for it. And I'm also kind of shallow. <sighs> I think we should just split up the, the shows that didn't work, that had, that had our, or I guess Supernatural work, but we could send, we could send Jared and Tyler Heckland to Texas to be in t- Walker, oh, Texas Ranger. Yes. And Dylan <laughs> O'Brien and Jensen Ackles can go to California and be, be California yes. Highway Patrol. <laughs> Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> I'm here for it. I, I'm all in is it a little too much of a innuendo to talk about insertion points now? No. <laughs> <laughs> is it? I run a cock worshiping cult on Facebook. I mean, there's never too much innuendo. I put an insertion point on the, did, did you see my co- art for this? Do you know how hard I had to work to find something that phallic that that, that, that was still a neat pin? <laughs> it wasn't actually hard. That It actually wasn't hard at all. Um, But um, insertion points. Like I said, if you want to do something specific, then you obviously need to pick an insertion point in the canon that is both um, conveniently before the events you want to fix. And more importantly, to where your character can act the most efficiently. What puts your character in the best, the single best position to make all the changes you want to make to canon? So picking the insertion point for "Unleash your Demons" was actually really easy for me, because I went through the timeline and I picked a, I picked a spot a few months before Bruce Banner became the Hulk, because I felt like Tony's first stop because he couldn't go back. See, the thing is, if somebody asked me why he didn't go back and save his parents, or at the very least his mother. Um, the further your character goes back in time. A couple of things happen if Tony's back that far in time. One, he is stupidly young and practically powerless. He's financially dependent on his father. He is in school. No one's going to take him seriously. His ability to act is going to be stymied by both his youth and his position. But more importantly, the further back he goes, the less control he will have over the events that are coming his way. If you go back too far, your ripples are so immense that all the you more, have to, that all you have look forward to is chaos. There's no, I mean, really. The it more you change, can't be controlled, yeah. right? The more you change, the less you know. So you just have to be really careful with. Yeah, if if they had gone back that far, Nebula would have been a child. Um, yeah. which would have yeah. put her right there in an adult, but in an, an adult mind in a child's body being tortured and, and trained by Thanos. And that would have also been a factor, then picking a point that she could have had autonomy and been able to get out of the situation. And, um, But um, but picking where to start the story was, was easy. Picking the exact point to go back in time. Because you worked on that for a little bit. It's like, yeah, exactly. You worked on your timeline and which events and, you know, like, where I it was wanted to know, be. If, okay, where is Stain? Where is Pepper Potts, theoretically? Where is Bruce Banner? Um, where is he going to be here? Where could Nebula be? You know, um, what's on deck for Tony work wise? What's coming up? What's approaching? Um, and I, I, I looked at manufacturing and just how long it would have taken to create Jericho and um, just, you know, from prototype to, you know, well, design and prototype. Uh, testing until actual you know sale to the u s military and to have that demonstration overseas how how long that would have taken in theory um so there were you know and, and and I wanted to get there before he actually agreed to make jericho um so I was like okay where would that have where would that process have started where would that contract process start? you know we would have started for the um the um the jericho project and where is stain in this? And so there's a lot that went into the spot that I picked for Tony to land. Least of all, not least of all, was where Nebula would be. So I needed Nebula to be an adult to not be constrained by Thanos physically. Yeah. Um, and one of the things you have to be careful about also is not picking your insertion point that's too far in advance of where you have change happening. because. Y- I always, I try to start a story at where there's a significant amount of change or where the character is, where there's about to be change. Because rehashing canon or doing minor changes to canon leading up to your big change can be very tedious and it can create a very slow start to your story. Um, It can throw your pacing off from the beginning. So instead of having a little bit of a slow rise in the pace, you have just flat where nothing is going on. Um, immensely flat. And so sometimes, I was actually on the fence yeah. about whether or not Bruce would become the Hulk. Through most of my plotting process, I, I, I kept going back to it, and like. But really, the thing ab- about Bruce Banner is that in my mind, it's difficult to separate Bruce Banner from the Hulk, which is why it was so offensive what they did in Endgame. Yeah, <clears throat> I didn't. couldn't kill Hulk. They they apparently had no problem with it. Now, in Duty of the Living, um, I had a little bit of a conundrum initially. I don't, I'm, I, even though I write prologues occasionally, I'm not a big fan of them in general. Um, I hate to read them. (laughs) Sometimes you really do need a prologue. It's, but I would say the reason why I don't like them is because most of the time when I read them, I think that they're not necessary. Um, But when it comes to, when it came to that story, I had, Really, two points that were where things were changing. There was this the, the pivotal where, where action starts for the story proper is what's going on when Styles is about to turn nineteen and he's coming into his full magic and he's about to get pulled back to Beacon Hills, and that was where the story really began. But and I initially actually started writing the story there, but I didn't feel like it really set the tone for why Styles was gone and and why. And how he and Derek had forged this willingness to talk to each other. And I felt like I needed that scene where he said goodbye to Derek in Beacon Hills and explained why he was leaving as a prologue. And so I, I wasn't initially in my plan, but I did back up and then add that in because I didn't feel like just starting it where I started it was... I didn't feel like it was working. I didn't feel like, I felt like I was having to explain their relationship too much. And it was already a lot explained because most of it evolved during that one year gap between um, the prologue and the chapter one. Um, But I felt like I needed to have some on-screen time with them in that prologue to kind of just set that tone. So that's why I added the prologue in. But I did that very quickly. So I wrote chapter I started chapter, started the beginning of the story, and then I went, This isn't working and I backed up and I and I wrote the the prologue. And so picking where to start the prologue also wasn't very difficult because I Although you could argue there were a lot of different th- scenes I could have and this could be like more on the like question of how do you pick your insertion point because it was a matter of, I could have started where Stiles is talking to his father and his father tells him, alright, I'm not going to try to keep you out of the supernatural, but I want you to get out of town and get some perspective. I could have started with that conversation. Um, but I didn't feel like it was the important conversation. I felt like the important conversation was the conversation he had with Derek before he actually left. Since it's the connection between Derek and Stiles that was the important one in the story. So, um, and so that's just weighing, right? Like there's two events that happen, right? Stiles had a conversation with his dad. He explained about the supernatural and his dad said, okay, um, this is fine, but I want you out of town for a while. And Stiles agreed to it. That could have been a, a, the place I started, but I, it started instead with the scene after that with when is when he went to go talk to Derek. It makes sense because all the information that you would have given in the previous scene was was relayed in the scene you have with Derek. So there was no point in um, rehashing that over again. Right. And the scene with Derek was the important one. Because obviously he's going to stay in touch with his father. But the setting the foundation for how he and Derek were going to stay in touch was more important to to, to where I was going. So. so knowing your character's motivations before you pick your spot, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um and goals and motivations aren't always the same thing. Sometimes you um you, um your motivations lead you toward goals. Um, but sometimes they lead you away from they they push you away from trauma. So knowing where your character is motivated, knowing what they want, knowing what they hate, knowing what they love is super important to um both characterization and your plot. Because then then you'll know how they'll react to certain situations. And it will feel very natural to your reader when they do react that way because you're what's the word I'm looking for um you're projecting that throughout the story. you're showing the character who they are the um the, the reader, and so you're i don't actually i'm I've tried to sit here trying to guess what you're trying to say. I don't know it's um it's not foreshadowing um but it's uh it's not projection telescoping is that right maybe. Telegraphing, Um, telegraphing, telegraphing. Thank you. What the fuck? Okay. So if you know these things about your character, your this information is going to come out in your narrative. It's going to come out in their language and the way they speak and the way they, they move through scenes and the way they respond to situations. And so if it allows you to, to telegraph to your reader, How they will react to situations in the future, and then it will feel again, yeah, it will feel very authentic to the reader and it won't be jarring. But if you don't know this about your character, um, and you're not telegraphing it throughout your narrative, and in chapter 15, they lose their shit over something, and it is completely out of the blue, it looks inconsistent, it looks out of character, it looks It's jarring. It's going to throw them out of the narrative. And they're like, what the hell? Why that? What? How did we get here? And I I know you've had that reading experience. It's a really easy reading experience to get in (laughs) Phantom. It's like, why is is he suddenly acting like he's been possessed? Why is he throwing this stapler? Yeah. Is there about to be an exorcism? Because this character (laughs) feels like they've been demon possessed. Um, you know, the thing is, one of the things about when it comes to the insertion point for your plot, what is good for your story may not be intuitive in the to be in, in, in the canon. There are some obvious places to me in, in in shows or movies where it's like, that'd be a really good place to stop stuff. and And it's a good place to put in a change before a bunch of bad shit happens. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it serves your story to put it there. You might want to insert a small change further back. Um, sometimes way back, like you may need a prologue that is 20 years in the past that shows your character interacting with somebody else that gave them this one piece of information that set them on a slightly different course. And then chapter one, you see the, what that slight, that slight course change caused. So like there are obvious places I think in a lot of shows or movies to go, okay, this is a really good spot. Um, We've talked. We we did like a whole podcast on places you could change things in the MCU. Um, You know, after Iron, and when you look at places where people have started their stories, it's because a lot of times those are really obvious places to start a story, to start a change. At the end of Iron Man Two is really popular. Um, At the beginning of the Winter Soldier, uh, right after the end of the Avengers. Um, You know, there's there's some popular places that people start their stories because it is a good spot to create change um, that is before a bunch of bad shit happens. Same thing with, you know, NCIS. There's a lot of stories that start around the time Gibbs goes to Mexico or Gibbs comes back from Mexico or around the time that Kate is shot or around Boxed In or Dead Air. I mean, there's a lot of these specific moments where it's like, okay, that's where, off you know, writers put, you know, But you can also, if your character, you're trying to get your character out of a situation, you don't necessarily need one of those big pivotal moments to get them out. You just need a moment. And the question is, what serves your plot? Right? So that's why it's really important to know what kind of story you want to tell. Because do you need a quieter moment? You know, your character is your, it is, you know, you don't need your character to leave in, you don't need Tony to leave NCIS on a moment of high drama. He could just get a better offer he could just get recruited to something else and it's before Kate dies or it's before whatever. It doesn't have to be there's, there's something in our id that feels very satisfied by, you know, somebody stomping out after somebody treats them badly. But that that's always reactionary. We actually had a podcast about that too, about the idea we talked at least in, in context of something you and I talked about the idea of Tony leaving more from a strength place of strength than reacting to something bad that had happened. I think the quiet exit actually fits his character better. Yeah. Lady Holder did a quiet exit um for Agent Very Far Afloat. Or far far afloat. She something um, like that. she come he he comes in, he resigns, he says goodbye to Kate, leaves a few emails and leaves. <laughs> Later, Tater. See ya. And that was it. Agent very far afloat. Um, and that's her episode series that she did for our episode. Is that that accurate? Is that Battle of the Five Fandoms? Yeah, it's yeah, Cooper definitely stole the show. Um, um, anyway, so all, but I mean, I do think Tony leaving around Dead Air makes a lot of sense. I have no issue with that because. I think that could be a straw that broke the camel's back, obviously. Um, but, like, if Tony having a tantrum and leaving over, you know, boxed in, I have to admit, there have been many a story I have rolled my eyes over. Because it, it doesn't seem very in character to, to, for the, him to have a big tantrum over being left out of... Now, him leaving over Ziva shooting him, okay. But it's usually, it's written that he's he leaves over Ziva leaving him out of the dinner invite, which... Ignoring the fact that she shot him and Gibbs Gibbs didn't take it seriously. Right. So, you know, it's a... a, Personally, I don't know why he'd want to eat her food. She's already tried to kill him once. I'm just saying. Um, Popular... You know, in Teen Wolf, there are a lot of popular places where you see people diverging from canon. Well, And then, you know... coming back in, which kind of confuses me, but uh, you see end of season two, beginning of season three is very popular. Uh, I think because universally people felt like the show kind of went completely off the rails in season two, at the end of season two or beginning of season three, three A, whatever. I don't know why they had to have a season three A to three B or whatever, but I think that's just dumb. But anyway, um, but also you see stuff right after the Nogitsune uh, a, lot of show, a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, stories start right after the Niget soon. I guess they want styles to have had that experience of being possessed and killing a bunch of people, um, and then diverge. Yeah, well, t- the team wolf is the whole we'll do a whole thing about teen wolf or canon contradicts itself but you know <laughs> when when you pick your when you pick your spot it the most important thing is that it serves your your goal that what you're trying to achieve and sometimes it just requires sometimes for me it requires a little bit of like thinking through like what 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 spot serves my need, the needs of the story um but in general in terms of just sitting down thinking about it, i don't Generally, find f- picking the spot difficult. It's not necessarily instant. Sometimes it's obvious to me, like this is where I'm diverging. This is the exact moment it's going to be in Gerard Argent's basement. It has to be the moment where things diverge. Um, but sometimes it's more. I have. I mean, it's. Me- I would say many times it's not quite that apparent to me where the divergence point is going to be. And I just sit down, and think about it. I sit down, and think about what I want to accomplish uh, and where this this needs to. I think a good point would be the part before all those kids commit cold-blooded murder with fire. Yeah, that'd be season one. And, you know, I had never actually considered um, a season one divergence. But, you know, and in retrospect, I don't know why not. Because, you know, them all burning Peter Hale alive really was (sighs) questionable life choice. (laughs) I mean, I get it. Okay, he was an asshole. But he was also a victim. Yeah, he was. he was obviously insane, and they set him on fire again. Well, no, they didn't set him on fire originally, but they did set fire to him a second time. He had been set on fire twice. That seemed a l- it's seems a—it seems a little cruel. So you know, there's some oh, there obvi- are plenty of reasons not to watch this show, Rogue. That is the least of them. Oh. If and you know, but again, it depends on what you want to do. If you're trying to, um, as, as Sahara pointed out, that you know a lot of people who do the no sh- sorry shadow pointed out that the post the stuff is a way around the way style was treated there so that's people diverging there to deal with the way he was treated after he was possessed now personally i would diverge before he was possessed and prevent it but i just don't wouldn't particularly because I, I don't wouldn't want to put styles through that kind of trauma um but it all just so it depends upon exactly what it is you want to do Um, and that's where it's important before you're looking for your divergence point that you be able to distill what it is you're trying to do. And I I often talk to people who are trying to figure out how and where to start their stories, and they actually can't articulate that point, what it is they're trying to do. Because like, let's say you're doing a Teen Wolf story, and you are going to diverge sometime around the Nugitsune thing. It's like, well, what is it you want to accomplish by with your fix it? Like, I want styles to be in a better pack. Okay, well, but do you want Do you want him to have a break with Scott's pack? Do you want him to leave Beacon Hills? You know, what is it that you want to accomplish for him? Do you want him to be... Does, does he need to have been possessed to to have this outcome? Can it be before he's possessed? Could it be while he's possessed? You know, I mean, what is it that you want to do? Um, well, but... <laughs> Honestly, I my just... end game for any team Wolf we'll Vick would be for him to be sitting on Derek's lap. I mean, you know, True, but that doesn't require a diver- you don't need a particular divergence point for that, right? It's just put you know just write a write a fucking story. But it, I mean, it, and also Scott needs to be punished for being Scott. Yeah, <laughs> but <you> know, <laughs> cons- conceivably, somebody who's looking for a divergence point has more of an idea than I just want Scott Styles and Scott Slap. Because if somebody came to me with that, I'd go come back when you've got more idea. Because that's just that's not an idea. <laughs> that's 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 a scene or go write a short story where he's in he's in me where he's in Derek's lap you know go go write that so um and that does come up that does come up a lot where I hear an idea that I think is a scene and I'm like okay that's that's not actually like there's no story to build here what is it you want to do do you want, and we've talked about the central theme here, right? Are you trying to do a, you know, coming into his own? Are you trying to do kind of a, the end of the innocence kind of thing? Are you trying to do good triumphs over evil? Are you trying to do found family? What is it you want to accomplish? And I know for some people that can be a harder question to, to answer than for others. But if you can't c- distill that, it's going to be really hard. Um, I May have said that it may have just been a, I may have said Scott Slap, but you know I meant Derek. It wouldn't always means Derek. I always mean Derek. Even if I had said Peter, I would have meant Derek. So just (laughs) substitute. Um, But you you have to have that level of clarity. And that does not mean you have to be a plotter. Don't confuse. um... But, however, if you're somebody who sits down with literally no idea what you're going to write... Then I don't know that it, I don't know that I find the question then becomes academic. How do I find my insertion point when I don't know what I want to write? Is is a is a self defeating argument? I mean, because how can how could there's like I don't know. Pick a point, and start writing, <laughs> see what happens. I mean, isn't that how you do it? I mean, yeah. Do you I mean, I don't have know. a theme? I mean, do you, do you sit down and say, okay, today I'm writing time travel, or is it like? I mean, is there is there nothing blank page? So if you're a pantser to that degree, now I know a lot of pantsers who at least know what kind of story they're going to tell. So this is not a pantser versus plotter thing. This is the absolutely no planning at all versus people who plan to some degree. Jesus, well, but I've, I've seen you plot. So don't, you know, maybe sometimes you do sit down, don't have any freaking idea what you're about to write. But that is not all the time. That is not all the time. Really? You had a really good foundation for your story for the Quantum Bang before we ever did our, or it appeared to be that way before, um, before we ever did our bounce. You knew where you were going, what you were going to do when you got there? Mostly. Sort of. <laughs> you know what's really crazy about that? and it, we'll, we'll have to see how it works out. How it shakes out. I'd be very interested to know how much of the stuff she pants in the bounce or the conversation that we did for that actually ends up in her story. I mean, like what, 20%? <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that She's saying forty percent. Okay, okay. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't call what I wouldn't call the bounce that you guys did pantsing because it's not because that implies when I sit down to bounce an idea out with somebody and I'm formulating the idea that I'm pantsing the idea. I mean, all idea. You could by that measure, you could say that all idea. You know, all idea bouncing is pantsing. That doesn't actually make sense. That's not. You're plotting. You're saying you pants that you. You're saying you pants the whole bounce but i don't know how that's any different because... that, i don't know how that's any different than any other bounce right because it's not like i go into an idea bounce with the entire idea in my head with no intention of changing anything that's not what an idea bounce is the idea bounce is about or the conversation is about formulating the idea and getting input and trading ideas back and forth and letting the idea formulate that's that's plotting that is plotting that is but you're saying that you, I, I don't understand the notion of pantsing an idea bounce. But what does that have to do with anything? I, Sometimes I, I went so, into my conversation with a theme, with my characters, with my pairing, with um my goal. I had like five pages of notes going into my bounce. Yes, you did. But I mean, and I I had. I had the idea going into mine. I knew what the general idea was and where I wanted to take it, and what the I knew what the certainly what, knew what the goal of it was. But I've, but you and I have done bounces where we just sat down and you said, "Okay, well, what fandom?" And you know, well, what character do you like best? And we started with nothing. Yeah, but we also do that in plot drifts. But I think plot drifts are a little different than an idea bounce. And those Great. of you who have listened to the idea bounce and who listen to our plot drifts, there, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think honestly most of Lady Holder's um, conversation is a plot drift. Okay, okay. It's it's not. Um, yeah, I would say. Oh, I've listened to it again, but I think most of it's. But I, I think it's more plot drift than idea bounce. But it's just going to be conversation regardless. <laughs> We'll I, com- I mean, I, there, I agree. To, there is, and we talked about that. That going into an idea bounce, you do have to have an idea. Otherwise, it's a, pl- a plot drift is a lot more brainstorming than yeah than it is idea bouncing. But um, but you should listen to. I'm gonna um uh, I'm almost finished. I need to finish the podcast for Patrick Shepard, and then I'm gonna work on Kaya's um MP3. But um. The, the idea about can be very organic, you know. Whereas a plot drift can be like, I don't know. I they just feel very different to me. So, like beyond just the fundamentals of of how we get there. Um Kaya's in the chat room. Um, she told on me. I put her in the corner during her own private podcast, and she told on me. She put you put her in the corner during a private podcast. That's actually kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you talk to while she was in the corner? <laughs> I still talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> she just had to sit in the corner for that part of the conversation. But in my defense, she earned it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I do think some of you are too married to this romantic idea of the Panther. That I mean, I've encountered panthers who see it as this this ultimate state of creation. And I mean, I actually had a panther once tell me that um I lacked creativity because I was a plotter. And that I didn't know what it meant to truly create as a result. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but you know, you but you've all encountered that pants that one pantser that one pantser in a writing group that's like oh i can't i can't think of my characters at all it will ruin it for me it'll ruin the whole story i have to just let it come out of me i have to let my muse move through my body you you all know that bitch <laughs> and i mean that with all affection <laughs> i'm just a vessel <laughs> It's like, oh, just whatever. Well that's all just, well that's just suck my quit whining <laughs> whining at me about how you can't find your insertion point. <laughs> Go talk to your muse. I and But then I've also encountered plotters who think that Panthers aren't even real writers. So, you know, there there is a which you which know I joke a lot about panthers, but I respect your craft for what it is. I just Sorry. Can't do what you do. When I said that thing about well, Vessel, go. What did I say? Go find your insertion point. <laughs> 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 yeah, she, she, she. I didn't realize she didn't have her headphones on, so we just sent her into a giggle fit. She almost <laughs> fell out of her chair. <laughs> um, but it, this, here's the thing: is it if if you can't if you're such if you're such a pants purist okay if you're th- that into your pants okay that you cannot come up with any idea of where you're going or what kind of story you want to tell finding the insertion point is completely irrelevant you know it is we do not matter- even know why you're listening to this podcast unless you just find this really fucking amusing which is likely because we're some funny bitches <laughs> that's right <laughs> well thank you for the time and the thing is I have had it's a conversation gone. with people who pants to that degree right where they're like oh I I don't have any idea what kind of story I want to tell I need help and I'm like no you don't go sit down t- go go sit until you have an idea of what kind of story you want to tell because honestly what they're trying to do is they they believe in this muse thing and they're trying to get me to be their muse and I'm just not all in for that I'm like I'm not paid for this shit go away <laughs> Like, if if you want me to feed you a story, that'll be $10 an hour. No, that'll be $10 a plot point. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, but I have had conversations with people who do want me to feed them a plot. And that's, if someone's looking for a podcast on that, I can't, you know, that's not going to work. Here, here, I'm I'm going to give you guys a basic romance plot. Meet, greet, fuck. Happily ever after. There you go. And your insertion point. There should be one in every bit of those plot points. <laughs> Except that is actually. Honestly the basic structure. Of a contemporary romance novel. <laughs> Just saying. <clears throat> Which is why it's so boring to write. Yeah. I will <laughs> say. that. <laughs> Um somebody mentioned uh, sin mentioned further up about um, they had the idea they knew the end game, but they weren't sure what the theme should be. The theme can be a really big deal because uh, you you don't have it's the theme is the lens you're telling your story through. So it's how you develop, you know, from from if you've got a beginning and an end point, right? how that story is told the lens that it is told through is related to your theme what kind of what kind of story are you trying to tell the audience and you could tell a lot of different types of stories w- with the same basic series of events sounds weird to say but it's true so so what are you speaking why... to right justice grief love redemption change you know what are you trying to to do to your characters <laughs> uh and and then and then tell the story through that lens. And that's why it's really important to figure that out. So if you're even if you're a pantser, you can figure that out. You don't have to know every plot point to know what kind of story you're gonna tell. But if you want to exempt yourself from craft because you're a pantser, then this is not the podcast for you. And I can't tell you how to find your insertion point if you're that committed to not knowing what you're gonna write when you sit down at the computer. Honestly, I wouldn't even be able to help you find your ash from a hole in the ground. much less your insertion point right so finding the insertion point is for somebody who knows what kind of story they want to tell and really the easiest place to start with figuring out it figuring it out is where are things changing when you're doing something that's canon divergent or you know something especially something canon divergent is where are things going to change Know the moment that it's going to change, and you probably want to start right before that. If you need to tell, if you need to back things, and if you need for the purpose of your plot to back things up a little bit, to lay a little bit of foundation, that's easy enough to do. But you should know when that pivotal change moment is. If the p- pivotal moment of change is Tony gets in the car and finds out that they weren't listening while he was looking, getting voice prints of a domestic terrorist cell, that is is—it's pretty obvious that your insertion point is going to be somewhere around there, and it may not be right at that moment. It may not be him reacting to that moment. It could be sitting at the office afterward. It could be him sitting at home, you know, with a glass of wine, thinking over the day's events and deciding. It could be a quiet moment where he's thinking, "I don't want to put up with this. Uh, this uh, enough's enough." but it's somewhere around where things are changing because you had that moment. There's this catalyst and something's going to be different. So your insertion point is going to be somewhere around where things are going to change. It could be before they go on the voice prints. It could be after, but it's right around that catalyst, that change catalyst. And we actually did a whole um, podcast on dead air variations um, and ways that that could have gone down um, differently Mm -hmm. for better or worse um we also did a whole podcast on we it was on the fix-it catalyst but fix-it catalyst and change catalyst aren't really all that different when you're looking at canon divergence there's something that is a catalyst for change and your insertion point is going to be around where that is i want to write a story where vance says you're going to be agent afloat and Tony realizes that Vance hasn't even bothered to read his file, so he just turns around and goes to HR and files a complaint. Because he's not allowed to go on ships to stay because he has a fucking plague. And there isn't a ship in the Navy that could handle him if he got the flu. Right. Or pneumonia. Or just a really stupidly bad chest cold. Or he could just say, I thought that was a volunteer assignment, sir. It is, right? I mean, You aren't supposed to be I, I don't think you can actually be forced to go. No, you can't. The, the, I think the afloat positions are always. Um, but also, it was a promotion. Not that Cannon acted like it, but it was. What I say, Queenie, is that I would like Tony to get that assignment to go agent afloat. And then realize that Vance hasn't read his file. And then go down to HR and file a complaint. Because he had the plague and he shouldn't be on a ship. They rarely mention it, but they did mention it in that one episode where they thought he was dead. Tony has severe lung t- um lung scarring from having the plague. Which means if he gets pneumonia, flu, severe chest cold, any of these things. Well, actually, a chest cold can turn into pneumonia with him probably very easily. Um, mm-hmm. there is, There's no ship in the Navy that could handle him. That could handle his medical care. He would have to get... Me- he's He is a liability on a ship. Mm-hmm. And I don't see how any captain of a ship would take him. Like, whoa, 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 you can't send me a plague victim. Not, especially not... It's not not even about him being contagious because he's not. It's about the closed environment, right? It's about how do they get him off the ship. I mean, these are aircraft carriers, right? So potentially they are deployed to areas where they can't just evac him willy-nilly. And I wouldn't think that a, a captain would want the risk of someone who has a much higher potential than anybody else on board of dying because they can't evac him when he gets a cold. It actually makes Vance's action depraved indifference. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's work with this a little bit about insertion points. So let's say what, you know, I'm going to put this to you and you can think about it. Me? Let's say, yeah, you, I'm okay. going to throw you a okay. setup and you find the insertion points where this could work. Cause I think there are a lot. Let's okay. say that, the SGC knows that Tony's a gene carrier. They've read his file. They know that he's going to be very difficult to recruit. So they haven't actually recruited him, but they're paying attention. And then something happens at NCIS one day, and they get the inkling that Tony might be amenable to recruitment, and they move in to recruit him. And that's the story you want to tell. That's the basic setup. Thematically, it's about Tony getting out, finding a new team, you know. That kind of whole thing. It's a Tony leaves kind of story. SGC is going to recruit Tony. They're looking for their moment. So, you, your insertion point is where, you know, Jack probably, because he's actually a really good fit to recruit Tony, is going to move in and make the sales pitch. Go. What's your insertion point? Immediately, it's like I think to myself that um, Brad Pitt's in the know about the SGC and The insertion point is Tony getting the plague and Kate's killed and the SEC says, okay, this is our moment. He's, he's vulnerable. He's angry. And it would be like, yeah, Janet. Um, I think that Brad and Janet, absolutely. I'm hundred percent on board that train. So I think that Brad is probably keeping an eye on that situation and because he's in the know. And he thinks that Tony would be a really good fit for the SGC. And he knows he has the ATA gene. And so I think that would be a really good one. Another one would be. Um, well, of course. Is it, is it Ali- Aaliyah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Where, the name of the episode, yeah. Um, the whole Rifkin mess. Um, I think it would be. Um, a really good an interesting point. If the SECNAV interfered and said, you know what? You're not. You're not sending my agent to. No. No, nah, that's, that's, no, you, you, you're not going to Israel. None of you are going to Israel. We don't owe Israel a fucking ex- explanation. They owe us one. And since the two of you seem to think De Nozo is just um, disposable, I'm going to take him off your hands because someone else thinks he's actually really valuable. And Tony ends up on a plane to Colorado. I like it, okay. So, in both of those scenarios, in the first scenario, where it's after Kate dies, where exactly would you start your f- first scene? Jack O'Neill attends Kate's funeral, and maybe it's not the first time Tony's met him. Maybe this is the third time that he's been approached. Jack could have met Tony. I Me mean, could have met Kate, yeah, because if she was on he could have met her when she was on the president's detail, yeah, so he could have met her and Tony looks over and sees Jack O'Neill. Jack O'Neill walks away, goes over and sits down on a bench somewhere in the wherever. Um, Tony joins him and says, are you really trying to recruit me during my friend's funeral, during my partner's funeral? And Jack will say, well, you know, um, I'm actually here for her, but I wouldn't mind taking you home with me. And you can do with that what you want. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm 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 seeing a double meaning. <laughs> okay scenario number two it's around Aaliyah. where does where where do you where did you start your first scene um tony goes to the hospital for his broken Uh, arm yeah i think his clavicle is broken too isn't it i mean he's pretty fucked up no it's just his arm i think in canon i think it's just his arm okay so so he goes to the hospital he gets um he gets put in a sling not a swing a sling (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is forbidden. Yeah. It's totally forbidden. Um, the, NCI, the NCIS the fandom ruined the tagging Stallion. No one no one can use it ever again. Okay. So, um he's told he's going to Israel and he says, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to Israel. Um and so he caught he picks up a card off his counter. He's home. He's got his he's he's, he's got his sling. And he's supposed to be packing a bag for Israel. He picks up a card he was given a couple years before and dials it and said, Okay, I'm ready. Come get me right now. And it's somebody at the SGC, dealer's choice. I like that. Because he realizes that um, Vance and um, Gibbs are about to sacrifice him one way or another. He's the lamb. And that's bullshit. It is bullshit. And so they, no. c- and he's just gone. Now if you want a high it could be drama. Paul Davis because Paul Davis is it probably in well I guess it would depend on the time period because it could be Jack O'Neill in DC at this point. Jack I don't remember the timeline. Uh Leah is the end of season six, which is yeah, Jack is definitely in DC. So Jack, you know, Jack sends a car for him. Um and by the time NCIS is figuring that he's not showing up, Tony's apartment's empty. You could do a high drama moment with that, where they're at the airport when a bunch of Marines show up. Because at the airport, they would have been at a military base. I think they left out of Edward or Andrews. Is it Andrews? Um, Air Force Base that they fly out of near D.C.? But anyway, whatever. Um, Probably. You could make it Marines, that. A bunch of Marines show up with someone from the SGC. It could be Davis. It could be Jack. With a presidential order reassigning Tony into their custody and tony's like what the fuck is going on (laughs) i like that too i like that too you know jack rescuing from himself because at at that point tony needs a wake-up call and 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 he didn't get it he didn't get that wake-up call when rifkin almost killed him and he didn't get that wake-up call when he when they told him we're going to israel and you're going to explain yourself to eli david really how about you explain to me how ziva is guilty of espionage and she's not in cuffs? Why don't All you right. explain to me why I am being questioned like this when this asshole killed a gu- um an ICE agent? And she was an accessory after the fact because she sheltered him. So tell me. Tell me why I am going to Mossad to explain myself when they should be coming here to explain themselves. And All also right. fuck you. And also <laughs> fuck you. But I think I mean it's easy for me to write it in that situation that Tony was dazed and probably feeling a lot betrayed um by events and circumstances because Gibbs Gibbs said in canon he said to McGee when McGee asked if Tony was going to be okay and Gibbs response that it was Tony's word against the dead man's I was like wow asshole which is bullshit it's a federal agent's word against uh, a, a murderer against a murderer and and Also, a spy. So, you know, a respected federal agent. That's a little bit of a different context than you put on that. So, I think it would be interesting to have, you know, Jack just quickly intercede to get a stop to that and get Tony remanded into his custody temporarily and say, hey, look, do you really want to go have a conversation with Eli DB? Because if you do, if that's really like part of your life goals, we'll get you there. But it just seems inappropriate, and so we'd like to give you you know an alternative well, if Jack of- shows up with an order from the president in his hand, that means the president has been told that the Director of NCIS was about to sacrifice one of his own agents to a foreign spy agent. see meanwhile, covering up treason, not not treason espionage for one of his own for a fucking consultant at NCIS and oh by the way the guy that um, Genozo killed he's guilty of murdering a federal agent but but I think that at that point when Jack is walking Tony away that there would be somebody going you know what the president would like a word with you both (laughs) the second Nav is waiting in the Oval Office get in the fucking car (laughs) This is not the way this works, gentlemen. This is not the way any of this works. Someone needs to tell fucking Gibbs to get in the fucking car, okay? You just sit down and shut up, Agent Gibbs, if you value your career. Well, at that point, really, realistically speaking, both their careers are over. They are harboring someone guilty of espionage, murder. And murder. Well, yeah, accessory to murder was as far as Ziva is concerned. But Rifkin is guilty of murder. Ziva hid him, lied about it, and was also guilty of espionage. It, you, you, it's canon. It's canon that she was giving information, classified information, she took from NCIS and she was giving it to the Mossad. How the fuck does she end up an, a, a citizen of the United States? That is the stupidest writing on television. And that's saying a lot, considering Teen Wolf was on TV at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like in one, in one episode, they managed to make, they managed to be stupider than the entirety of Teen Wolf canon. It's like, way to go, NCIS. It was only like five minutes, too. It wasn't even like a whole episode. It was like five minutes of an episode. And they managed to, like, surpass even daytime television. That's that's work that takes that you you almost want a slow clap for them right you almost want to be like wow (laughs) congratulations you guys win the worst writing award but so I threw that out there as an example of like there's an idea of what she might want to accomplish or you might want to accomplish which is getting Tony out there being recruited by the SGC so there's that general idea. And that they're monitoring the situation with Tony so that, you know, or maybe not, depending upon how you want to spin it. And then where you can, and then depending upon that that set of events could fit at multiple points in the canon. And that which, where exactly you pick, um, sometimes it also depends upon your writing style. You know, do you want to write a scene at a funeral? Do you want to write a scene at a bar after a funeral? Do you want to write a scene a week after? Do you want it to be before the funeral? I mean, but around that time period, right? So, um, it it all depends upon what kind of writer you are and what it is exactly you want to do, um, but I would just say the, the biggest mistake I see people make with the insertion point is they're either picking an insertion point. Well, I guess it's two, two mistakes. They're either picking an insertion point way too late after their changes have occurred. And they're just, they're locked in 10,000 words of exposition to explain how they got here. Or they pick a point that is way too, way too early. And it's just nothing is happening. So why do they do this? I think the too late and the too early boil down to two things. Um, No accounting for ripples and your id. Id gets in your way because sometimes something sticks in your cross so bad that you want to fucking fix it. It's just like why I keep why all Harry Potters have, all all time travel Harry Potter writers have one fic where it starts before first year so Harry can go on a shopping trip. (laughs) <laughs> does that serve the story? Probably not. <laughs> but but Harry Potter's going shopping. <laughs> but you can serve your id and do it in a different way. He does I, need I, all the things. But, he does yeah, need I all mean, the things. Yeah. So, so sometimes your your desire to fix something that's so heinous to you. Um, Harry wearing hand-me-down underwear is pretty heinous to me. Actually, I mean Best. hand-me-down, hand down shoes and sock and um and um t-shirts and jeans. It, they should fit him, right? It's but he have his own underwear. About it, yes. He Needs his own underwear. Okay. <laughs> Everybody needs their own boxers. It's a or simple thing or whatever. There, you just need your there, own. There's you a reason why share. there's a reason why they don't take this item at. At cherry drop-offs, you can't donate used underwear. It <laughs> shut up, as get in the corner. <laughs> Never mind you. You stay in the corner. You you live there. <laughs> I'm just saying, um, that that's a that that's one item that I just don't think should be a uh, hand-me-down. It just, it's just a personal thing. I mean, so you know that- be careful when you go, commando, um, rogue. I do it. You got to be careful. You got to keep stuff trimmed and, and because the last thing you want to do is get pubic hair stuck in a zipper. Okay? I speak from experience. Also saying, you know, I don't particularly find going without the denim to be a particularly good life choice. No, it can be very dangerous. It's it's a little chafy. So you this be is careful. delicate. To, this this is delicate down there, so you yeah, got more a little, little bit more for a little bit more for the ladies than than for the gents, you know. Is it really though? I mean, our stuff isn't dangling. It's not dangling, but, you know, men who wear boxers, I mean, I've seen that some of the fabric, some of those boxers are made out of. It isn't much different than pants. They're mm-hmm. used to things, they're used to things moving around against fabric all day is my point. Now, if you're not a boxers guy, free ball, it could be a weird experience for you. But, you know, women are not used to having anything but, you know, certain materials touching the stuff, their parts. The junk. And so you get some, I'm, I'm sorry, as much as I like linen, it, it is actually not all that comfortable rubbing against really sensitive skin. Neither is wool. No, absolutely not. So before you leave your panties off, check, check the chafe factor. If it has a cha- high chafe quotient, put your underwear back on. And this is how you, this is how you check the chafe factor. Put on, put on the pants. Put them on. Zip them up. Do the whole thing. Put them how you would normally wear them. Then squat, then get back up. And if you happen to ride a motorcycle, go straddle something and double check. Right, before you get that, before you have that seam rubbing rubbing on you while you're on a motorcycle. I also sit, yeah, sit down in the chair, spread your legs as wide as you possibly can, and then close them. If something pinches, get up and put your panties on. Right, it's a thing because I have a pair of pants that I cannot. I have to wear panties with because if I don't, it's like it's like my labia tries to eat those pants. Okay. Right? It's like, it's like what is going on? Honestly, the it's safe fro- way. It's a front wedgie and it makes no sense. Just. The safest way to, to go commando is to do it with a skirt. So. A long skirt. A long, yes. We're talking maxi. Okay. Maxi. One that skirt. won't blow up. That too. I
1: oh, have Margaret, plenty of those.
0: It's fine. I have plenty of those. It's fine. I, I would go. I, have, I, I will go. Without underwear with a maxi skirt. As long as it isn't flimsy material that's see-through or one that I think will blow up, I'm fine. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. It's like, yeah. I have a lot of maxi skirts, maxi dresses. It's, it's good. I learned the denim, denim on a motorcycle thing with no underwear the hard way. <laughs> it, it really does depend on the material. You gotta be careful. Well, but it also depends on the cut of the skirt. I have skirts, even though they're maxi lengths that they're actually kind of fitted through the hips. They're not going to blow up to my waist. Yeah, but if you have one that's got a um, what's that cut? It's very round with a lot of material and a lot of space for air to get up under it. That's a whole different ball game. Well, if you're wearing a poodle skirt, put your panties on. <laughs> New rule. <laughs> circle, thank you, Queenie. Yeah, circle skirts—you definitely want to wear underwear with. How did we get off onto free balling? Harry's underwear. Oh, Harry's underwear. So, but when you're doing your time travel thing, do you, if, if you're going to take Harry back to before first year in your time travel thing, okay, there's going to be a shopping trip. We get it. It doesn't have to be the typical shopping trip. You could tone it down and let it be a few hundred words or just mention it. You know what you could do? have him gleefully going through his packages rather than go do the shopping trip, And also don't list the clothes because there is that asshole reader that will say, you know what? He didn't buy that white shirt during his shopping trip. Where did he get that from? Did he steal it? Yeah, exactly. They will remember. They will remember that he, he only had black, brown, brown, brown and blue pants. Where the (laughs) fuck did he get a pair of gray trousers? Right. (laughs) They'll be all up in it. I'm serious. Don't make that mistake. And it's not just because of the reader who will notice it's boring as fuck to get the inventory list. It's almost as boring as Harry's class schedule. Which I have Harry's class schedule for each one of my stories, but it's not actually written down in the story. That's just for my own pacing. No one else needs it. They don't care. So- so when people are starting their story too early or too late, it could be their id is running away with them and they just want some of these vanity scenes. Sometimes I read stories though, where this is just boring. It's there's nothing, it's just, there's no vanity here. It's just, they're trying to, okay, I'll tell you part of what this is. It is, remember we've, we had a whole podcast about pithy advice and how all pithy advice is bad advice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a piece of advice running right out there about how stories should be able to stand on their own. Okay. And nobody really defines what that means for a story to stand on its own. And I can always tell when I spotted an an author, when I think they've misinterpreted this piece of advice, when they start a story that says, Harry lived at number four Privet drive with his aunt and uncle, Vernon and Petunia Dursley, who did not like magic. And it's like, not that kind of that. That's not what we mean by it, it should stand on its own. Um, and I see this thing happen in Teen Wolf 2, I see it happen in NCIS, where we're getting regurgitation of canon facts to establish, to help, what I see is that I think the author is trying to root the reader in the story and give them a foundation. But the thing is, people who are that unfamiliar with Harry Potter are not reading Harry Potter fan fiction. People who are that unfamiliar with... And if they are reading it and they're unfamiliar with it, then it doesn't matter what they don't know. Right, right. It doesn't matter that they don't know. They're going to read it as original. They don't need to know what the source was. Especially since you're about to change all that shit. Um, and so what I see is people trying, misunderstanding how to make a story stand on its own. And not be dependent on reader memory or whatever. And and so what happens is, what I see people doing is regurgitating canon. It's beginning of stories I see this a lot in Teen Wolf, Um, like, you know, going over, you know, like rehashing the events of how Scott got bit in the woods. And it's sort of like, okay. Uh, And maybe for somebody this is helpful. I don't know. But what it is, is you're you're boring 95% of your reader base, maybe 99% of your reader base. And I don't know if it's to try to attract that one tiny that that tiny percentage of people who don't know that Scott was bit in the woods, who don't understand that premise. I've not, I've I've not seen that scene. Basically, what's what POV is it presented from? Is it Scott's? No, Styles. I I read stories where the story is presented from Styles' point of view, and like you know, in in his narrative, it's talking about you know that he's going to meet his friend Scott, who was bit in the woods, um, because Scott, because Styles wanted to search for a dead body because his dad's the sheriff, and they're trying to set this foundation. And I think what they're trying to do is me- let the story stand on its own, quote unquote, except that that's not exactly what anybody means by let the story stand on its own. When you're talking about fan fiction, letting a story stand on its own means a little bit, something a little bit different than regurgitating canon facts. <laughs> um, so I, it's just, my point is that it, that balance of what you need to tell the reader about what's going on. Um, that can, I, I will admit that can be a little bit tricky so that people aren't completely lost. Uh but I think the easy, best way with fan fiction is to try not to be so dependent on people knowing the canon that you have to retell the canon. So, meaning you're not needing that much canon detail. Um, I think if you, want, if you want to start with the bite, you need to twist it. Move it around. Um, focus on the emotions. Like, like post-bite. Um, are they running? Are they trying to get away from this guy, this thing? Um, is it fear? Is it anger? Is it both? Is he worried about his dad being in these woods? I mean, if you focus on that kind of content you can you can push forward the trauma of of what's happened to them without dumping the entire Canon event on your reader. I mean, have you seen this in Stargate stories where there's a lot of rehashing of how the Stargate program came into being? No, not often. It's weird I run into those. I mean it's it's very rare. I mean I probably I could say like three. I I can think off the top of my head that might have had some reference to the movie and the original um expedition to Abydos. But that's really rare and that's usually if they're focused. But see the thing is, is I don't read SG one. Ask me how many stories I've got that start with um John sitting in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> cuz i've got 2 or 3 myself. <laughs> well, i know there's a lot of s g s g a stories that regurgitate canon. Like whoa. So, but yeah, i mean, but it's i think it's a little different and it's different like like in inception, they'll there'll be like um a a few nods to the canon um no, no, I don't mean they start back in a, on Abydos during the movie. I don't mean they start there. I mean they explain everything. They explain it all. It all I, gets explained. I honestly can't pick one out in my head. I'm sure there are some. I just can't pick any out. Yeah. Well, but I do know there are a lot of SGA stories that just basically retell the whole Yeah. You know, first, first or I second don't, series. It's just I don't a retelling. Yeah. So the retelling but but the my point about the insertion point is if Harry Potter is a particular one for this, where there's just a lot of retelling of events that lead up to the point of change, there's just no point in that. Um, and I do think that they're trying to, to especially if it's a pre first year story, they're trying to ground the reader in the canon. And there's just, I just don't get the point. I think Harry Potter's the worst fandom for that. I agree. Um, NCIS, I do see sometimes episode retelling where it's like you'll you know you've got like two or three thousand words of an episode that remain unchanged basically like dialogue straight from the episode, and then hello, and and then you realize this is plagiarism, right? (laughs) Right, and then and then there's this moment of change, and it's like, well, just start where the change is, and you know, you if you need to give an author note that I, I I would think you'd be able. There's a way to to set the set the scene, without retelling half an episode, um, I think a lot of procedurals are actually particularly bad about this: is retelling, you know, part of an episode up to the point of where them, something is different. As if they're thinking, the per- the writer is thinking that because the change is happening in, you know, episode four, that they have to retell episode four, and and that's you don't you don't need to do that. I think a lot of times, if you just like have a tag, you can say this is a dead air tag. This is a direct you know, Duranda tag. People are gonna know if you put oh. dead air in your uh in your summary. We all know. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to retell the whole episode. You need we to start. We know what happened. You need to start where where, either start where the, the moment where Tony gets in the car. Um. Or you start the moment where Tony is making a decision, but retelling the whole episode so that the reader can understand what happened
1: isn't necessary. It's, unnecessary. it's that's also not,
0: bordering on plagiarism, depending on how you do it. I, and I think, I do think, I mean, I've talked to people who've told me, they said, well, you have to make the story stand by itself. And it's like, but that's not quite what it means. Um, so it's sort of like, okay, can you imagine? If in every book in the, the Song of Ice and Fire, if you had to retell all the events of the prior books. summarized alone, by a character sta- in the beginning. <laughs> right. Standing alone does not mean that the reader is gets a summary of every event that's occurred. It means that anything that happens has enough context that it's not inexplicable. But it doesn't mean that somebody who hasn't read the other books knows everything that happened. Because that's impossible. Um, just That's just not the way. That's just not what it means to for the story to stand on its own. Two feet. It- in fandom and in series work. Um, your, fi- um, your fan fiction. Is built on canon. With the assumption that. Um, your reader is familiar with canon. In a series work. Like. The Game of Thrones. He depends on his readers. To have read the previous books. He put a lot of fucking work into book one. He expects you to read it. <laughs> and now, you may get a reference or two in book two, but your ass had better read book one. <laughs> and if yeah, but the thing is when the story when the story itself holds together, when a book holds together as its own story, it doesn't mean that every prior incident that's referenced is explained. It just means that it holds together as its own story. That's what it means to stand alone, is it stands together as its own story. Not that everything that happened before will be explained to you in book two. Like, you could read The Chamber of Secrets without having read The Philosopher's Stone. Absolutely. And you might be happier. Right. You would not know everything there was to know about what happened in book one. You would have the basics. You would know that Harry lives with um, his aunt and uncle who hate magic and... Um, you would know that Ron Weasley is his friend. You would know that Hermione Granger is his friend. You would know that Harry's kind of reckless and dumb because he lets Ron drive them in a flying car to Hogwarts. Um, You would know that um, he plays Quidditch. and um, So you would know all all that you need to know to function in the story because it's all given to you in the first chapter basically. You might or might not understand references to Professor Quirrell, you will eventually understand the stuff about Voldemort. I mean, as its own story, it holds together as its own beginning, middle, and end while contributing to the overall story arc, right? So in order for you to get the threads of the overall arc, you have to read the whole thing. So when something stands on its own, it doesn't mean that it's constantly summarizing everything that it went before. I read book... I read book three... And book four before I read book one and book two of Harry Potter series with no issues. I mean, yeah, there were things I didn't know, but it didn't prevent me from understanding the story that I was reading, which is the point. I I think actually in the In Death series, sometimes um, J.D. Robb will regurgitate information in every single book that we just don't need. Like I really don't need to have it in my face every single book. What 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 Eve's father did to her, I know it's there. I know what he did. Most of her readers do. Um, and I don't think it needs to be in your face in every single book, and yet it's still every single book. I can't think of a single book in that series where she's not brought it up. Well, honestly, if um, honestly, Chad- it's some explicit detail too, which is we just don't need it um honestly shadow if an if an author isn't making you want to get the whole context they're honestly not doing their job because if they can completely satisfy you with the harry potter series with the last book can you imagine how many book sales she's out on so if if you're reading and going i'm not happy that i'm not getting the full context that that's actually from a from a publishing perspective a good thing because you want the person to want to go get the prior book oh, this was amazing, I need to read it came before. You want them to want to read the next book. You don't want them to be completely, you want them to be satisfied with the lost. story. What do you mean? I picked up a book in the discount section of Barnes & Noble one night. My husband was getting some magazines or something, and anyway, I was near the front of the store, and I was kind of bored, and I picked up this book because it had this really interesting cover, and it was a book called The Ape That Guards the Balance. And I was standing there, and I read the, I read the first half of the first chapter while he was doing his shopping, and when he was said he was ready, I said, okay, I'm ready too. I closed that book and carried it with me to the cash register. And it happened to be several books in to the Amelia Peabody series. And I'd never heard of Amelia Peabody. And my introduction to her was The Ape That Guards the Balance. And after I finished The Ape That Guards the Balance, I went on Amazon and bought every single book in that series. Which is what you want. I was in love. <laughs> okay, okay, if there was a cliff notes if there was a cliff notes of all the other books the beginning of a book to explain everything that went on there's a lot of readers who wouldn't read the prior books so you want the you want the story of a book or the you know you want you want the, the plot to hold together as its own thing but at the same time contribute to the overall series to make people want to go and get the next book or the prior book or whatever but anyway, I brought that up because I do think sometimes people miss people wind up with the wrong or not a great insertion point because they are they're trying to make the story stand on its own, quote unquote, which again, we talked in the past about unexplained advice or advice without context can wind up being bad bad advice. Where you get into trouble with the whole the book standing on its own is if a book is completely incomprehensible, without reading a prior work, then, then I would call that more like a continuation or a part two or something like that. It's not actually a, a separate book. Like, can you imagine if, um, um, Harry, if the first Harry Potter book was cut in the middle and you started from the middle in the second book? You'd be completely confused. And it's because you're right in the middle of a narrative arc. And, and so it's confusing. And, and that is not standing on its own. Now, I have seen books that do that. They That's the dreaded cliffhanger, right? And so you're starting at the resolution of a cliffhanger. Yeah, you're confused. That is not a story that stands on its own. But it's honestly not, be, obviously it's not being designed to, but it's a bullshit, it's a bullshit tactic to get people to buy another book. I once read a book where it ended on a cliffhanger, and it was a romance you know. novel, and it was easily 120,000 words, and it ended on a cliffhanger. It remains the only single book I've ever closed put on shoes, went outside and tossed it in my dad's kindling barrel for his outside fire. He said, are you serious? I said, yes. Fuck that noise. Don't bring it in the house. Don't bring it back in the house. He said, okay. And there are some writers out there. Someone gave them some bad advice and told them that ending on a cliffhanger was a great thing to do. It is not a great thing to do. It will piss your readers off. And I did not buy the second one. Well, he's done far worse than that. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of we assholes, we don't we don't read him. Okay, so we talked about it. I don't. If anybody has questions about how to find the insertion point, drop them up in the um, ask a question for the podcast. We'll try to answer them. Um, in terms of starting with your insertion point too late, I do think sometimes. Okay, this 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 is like maybe too harsh, but I do think sometimes that is actually laziness. Not always. Sometimes I think people just. Think they can just summarize something quickly, and it winds up being ten thousand words, and that wasn't a quick summary. But sometimes I think an author just is. I, I do think so, sometimes sometimes it is they dumb. pick the wrong one, and then like they're so stu- they're too stubborn to back up. Yeah, it could be stubbornness or laziness, one of the two, or both. Why not, not a, both? Not, <laughs> a, but it's it's not an admirable trait. When you're th- the thing is, I've done that. I started at the wrong spot, and I thought I could summarize where I was, and. I couldn't.
1: Yeah, okay. Duty of the living.
0: Back it up. I felt I felt like I needed to back up and write a prologue. So I did. Um Aleomoto, the entire the entire story is a backup. I know some that's not up some people haven't read it, but everything I did in Moto. the entire fucking story was supposed to be summarized in the first chapter. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> And I sat down to write and I went, this isn't working. I mean, I was, I was so stumped by my own plot. I was like, why did I think that summarizing all of this was a good idea? Well, not the first. Yeah, it, yeah that's what it was supposed to be. I mean, I wrote, I wrote that first scene where he travels back in time. And it was supposed to summarize all. And that after the travel back in time, it was going to summarize all the stuff he did up to the point that he adopted Tom Riddle he did the cleansing ritual. All of that whole story, all the magical world building, all of that was going to be summarized in the first chapter. Is that spelled right? Yes. So that would have been a very bad idea. And I I could have been stubborn about it and still did it anyway, but it would not have been the story I wound up with. And I really liked the story I came up with. I do too. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the end. Um, let's talk a little bit about canon that contradicts Oh, uh, there is a question. One of them- There's a question. Hmm? Your insertion point doesn't have to be right on the moment of change, does it? Because I have a change point in mind, but writing it out feels like it would be excruciatingly boring. No, um, it all depends upon um, what moves your story forward. But it, I just, for me, that is where I think I try to position it near the point of change. Um, where where that catalyst for change is. because. That is where, I mean, unless you're starting like 10 years down the road, right? Which you might be doing. But no, it doesn't have to be right on it at all. I mean, if your aftermath is compelling and you can drag your reader in to what's happening to your character, you can even do your um, insertion point after the point of change, after you've made a change. Like, say for instance, you wanted to do a Teen Wolf um and you um the actual insertion of change is that Styles got bitten instead of Scott. And instead of in that moment where the bite happens, you could have Styles trying to get home, trying to get to his dad, trying to figure out what bit him, how it happened, what to do with it, how does it work, how am I you know, am I gonna die? You know, that kind of and that aftermath would be really just, you know, fierce. And the reader would know immediately what had happened—that he had been bitten instead of Scott—and you wouldn't have to go into that moment where the bite happened. You could just the aftermath of it would be enough, and it would be really powerful. Like I I, would find it powerful. Yeah, and the thing about like Scott Styles being bitten in front of Scott—Scott is at that point in canon—he was a severe asthmatic, so his—I think his ability under stress to fight off that to fight against that bite would have been minimal so he might have been less grievously wounded than say styles might have been who was stronger and didn't have those problems and styles could have re- fought tried to get away and resulted in more damage he actually could have passed out in the woods from blood loss and instead of starting there you start with him waking up in the woods the next morning what happened to scott oh god is scott dead i'm not mad but not mad yeah <laughs> but yeah what if he just ran I mean, you could have you could have all of the sheriff's deputies and they could be doing Scott could have when Scott couldn't find Styles, he could have ran and found the sheriff. Now, I've actually seen a lot of stories that take the angle that it was actually becoming a werewolf that turned Scott into a douchebag and that he's actually a completely tolerable human being when he stays human. And you could go that angle that Scott ran and found the sheriff and says, I can't find Styles," And so they're out trying to find Styles all night because styles is still out in the woods and styles is unconscious because he's got this big, he has been mauled basically. And it also would be an avenue of failing to, you know, keep it from the sheriff would find out about it. Right. He'd find out about the supernatural styles wouldn't be able to hide it. So there's, you know, you don't actually have to show the bite. You could just show him waking up. If you want to write it from Noah's point of view, if, if you're, if Noah's your unicorn, you could write it from Noah searching for his son and the panic he's feeling because they can't find Stiles. Because Scott can't remember where they left him. Right. And because, you know, there's someone cutting bodies in half that's running around out in the woods. And what if somebody's hurt Styles? And so they're looking for... He is well, my I'm unicorn. pretty sure Scott would be covered in blood at that point, too. Because he would have probably tried to pick Styles up if he's not a douche, but he's got asthma. He's not going to get far. Right. So he would have had to have abandoned him to go get help. Which would have been the right thing to do, but maybe he couldn't get back to where he was. Or it could have even been that Peter could have come back and, you know, dragged Styles off before abandoning him to go back to the hospital because he got summoned back to the hospital or whatever. So there's a variety of things that could have happened. But if you're telling it from Noah's point of view, it's a completely different scene than selling it from. Styles' point of view, waking up. And it just depends on what kind of story you want to tell. But does it have to be, do you have to start the story where they're tromping through the woods and where, you know, you, no, you don't have to retell all of that. You could just jump right ahead to where it gets interesting. You could dig in deep with that. I mean, you can do that with a variety of stories, not just Teen Wolf. Um, in The Old Black Magic, when Draco and Harry are Forced to go back in time by Neville because he's nuts. Um, they don't know where they're going to land, and they land um, as Harry is walking into the Department of Mysteries. It's the last time. It was the, It's the last moment he would have chosen for himself. Um, and he has to like think really fast on his feet. You know, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive this? How do I keep this from happening? How do I keep Sirius alive? And so, from that moment that they land in the past, they're they're running. Boom! 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 The pace has to be quick. I have to. I, when I when I did it, I was like, okay, the pace has to be sharp. It has to be constantly, and then I'll give them a moment to relax. But I knew that when they landed in that moment, that it was going to be for, for for Harry, it was going to be really harsh, um, and for Draco, it was going to be really nerve wracking because he had he would have he would know that that that's the night he would, he would figure it out that Harry was at the department of mysteries. And this is the night that that his father gets arrested, but he wouldn't know all necessarily all the events that took place at the department of mysteries, because by the time they got together, that was water under the bridge, you know, so he doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't know how Harry's reacting. um, And he won't know until Harry returns to the school. And so it's um, having that. So when I started that old black magic, i I gave them this really peaceful life. This, they're they're doing their thing. Their partners, their lovers, um, they're um, they're really just enjoying it. They're just, they're just having their best life, right? They they have everything they want, and then Neville, who doesn't have everything he wants, um, ruins their day. <laughs> <laughs> it also is galling because he set them up. <laughs> Like he's playing a long game, and they walk right into it. It's just really insulting. This <laughs> is this is bullshit. And so, you know, um, honestly, the the point was is I was kind of lulling the reader into a sense of like a sense of security there. Oh, they're having this great life. You know, they're partners. Everything's great. There's crazy Neville. <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> things will get fucked up. And then things got fucked up. Really fucked up. You know, so it was, but, but when you do that, when you create that kind of. Um, you like trolling uh, your readers, though. A little bit, yeah. But also, the pace is crazy. And it drags the reader in, and, and they want to know more and more and more and more. And that's what you want. So, anyways. Okay, so contradictory canon. What to do in canon. We've already discussed well. the warcruxes. Team Wolf is apparently full of it. And it's um, not especially 50. when it comes to like timeline and ages and um, whether or not Kate Argent is actually a child rapist or not, or a teenager or a rapist, whatever you want to call her. Um, but what I would say, and this is always my go to response pick the canon you like, make it your own, and throw away the rest. Now, when you're doing a canon divergent situation, which is, I assume, what a lot of people's questions might be around. Is what do you do when canon contradicts? Well, in this is just my opinion. um, When it comes to making your best effort, is let's say you're going to take, you know, one angle on canon and it contradicts this other thing, right? Um, Let's say you're going to take the angle on canon that Peter loved his family and was traumatized by their deaths. And wants nothing more than to see all the Argents die. Let's say that that's the angle you're going to take on Canon, and you find it to be contradictory that Kate would conspire that Peter would conspire with Kate Argent to make him an Alpha. Right. I th- I find that to be a contradiction. Okay. She's so, responsible for the murder of his whole family, basically. I mean, his whole drive. Can you guys hear me? Okay. I disconnected and reconnected because my connection went Can you get back in? Try now, you had a ghost connection and I threw it off, so maybe that will allow you to do it now. Well, she can't hear me, so I don't know why I'm talking to her like that. <laughs> my internet went down. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah, I'm on my phone. So I switched to my phone. I don't know how's the audio. It's fine. Okay. It's a little different. I mean, I can tell that it's a different device, but it's it's not bad. Okay. Um, so what were you saying? I'm not sure what uh, we missed. we probably missed all of it. start over. <laughs> well, all I was saying is that if you choose to go the route of ignoring the stuff in season for this the later season where where Peter was collaborating with kate um let's say you're choosing to ignore that bit that in order to be in the spirit of canon divergence, you would not ignore canon elements that didn't affect that right so. Just discarding a whole bunch of canon events that you don't like, um, even if they're not contradictory, wouldn't be in that spirit, right? But when you've got contradictory elements or elements that just don't make sense, you have to resolve them. It's sort of like resolving a character's age in Teen Wolf, right? You have to resolve it. But resolving, if you're setting your 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 thing in season two, um, and you you are you resolving. Um, the contradiction about ages in a way that makes sense to you in the spirit of Canon divergence, you would not then ignore like, um, that it, it would be random to ignore the fact that Allison kidnapped Erica and Boyd. Right. I mean, they are that, 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 that event is outside the scope of the contradictory event that you're trying to resolve. Did that make sense? Mm-hmm. So but if you don't want it to happen, you need to back your insertion point up. Yeah. If you if you like Allison and you don't want her to be a you know complete psychopath who hunts, you know, innocent teenagers down in the woods and shoots them full of arrows, then you need your insertion point needs to before that happened. Make a different choice for her. So she's not a psycho, you know. So um but you know, resolving the contradictory elements doesn't necessarily is not the same thing as um Ignoring any canon you just don't happen to like. In a canon divergence situation. Um, but Which when is why I can... think I prefer to write AU. <laughs> yeah, but when it, when it comes to a canon divergent situation you just pick the insertion point that allows you to ax all the canon you don't like. Including the contradictory elements. And if you don't want Peter associating with Kate in, by season four, kill Kate. <laughs> like properly kill her. Properly kill her. Put her parts in different areas. I don't know, burn her. I don't burn her body. If any bitch needed to be set on fire in Teen Wolf, it was her. That'd be some karmic justice, there, right? So that's how I would approach a contradictory canon. Is I would, well, I would figure out for starters what do I want to happen, what do I, what do I want the story to be, and what, what resolution of the contradictory canon works for me. Now, if you're writing a pure AU and it's not a canon divergent AU. Um, you just literally do whatever you fuck you want. As long as it's internally consistent, that's all that matters. And I, I do think a lot of stories fail the internal consistency test. So that's a completely separate problem. How to make your story internally consistent is a whole other difficult topic. But and sometimes that boils down to character, characterization. Mm hmm. Because often I see when um there's an internal consistency problem, it boils down to the character um in the wild throwing of staplers, <laughs> yeah, that character would not do that. I mean you know it's irresponsible staplers are quite heavy. <laughs> you can kill somebody with a stapler <laughs> i mean even I see even characters that are assholes this is this can be a, a consistency problem, even characters that are assholes, even if they are being even if they' are the antagonist in your story is Okay, so like let's say you have um let's say you have Gibbs as being somewhat of an antagonist in your story and he's kind of a dick, he's a lot of dick in canon. But there's still some things he wouldn't do. Right. There's some behaviors he wouldn't engage in. And so I don't I don't see him hitting a woman. No. I don't see him committing a sexual assault. Agreed. Um I don't see him in abusing a child. I don't see him overlooking or ignoring the, um, the abuse of a child. Um, and while I could see Gibbs dressing down a team member out there in the bullpen, there are some things I wouldn't don't see him doing because Gibbs, I think Gibbs reputation matters to him and he is not going to openly abuse his subordinates outside of the head slaps. And he's not going to openly abuse his subordinates in front of other team leaders. And that's just a fact. And I see that cocked up a lot. Is like open verbal abuse, like way beyond dressing down, like open verbal abuse or just really weird behaviors in public on Gibbs behalf. And and where it becomes, it's not just a matter of Gibbs characterization, it becomes a characterization aspect for everybody else who's a witness. doesn't make any sense. You've got to think about that. Is what does that say to every about everybody who is sitting by and watching this? What does it say about Vance? What does it say about the people in HR? What does it say about the other team leads that they watch this behavior and they do nothing? Nothing. It makes them all complicit. Mm-hmm. So you have. I think you have to. You know, when you when you're when you're looking at that kind of thing, yes, you can absolutely position someone like Gibbs as the antagonist in your story, and possibly even an outright villain, if you give him the right motives behind the scenes and you you make the actions it can't be so overt the villainy can't be so overt that other people would have seen it but when you make like gibbs an out and out villain out in the open in public it becomes a problem and when he's doing that at crime scenes people are going to record that and put it up on youtube Right? <laughs> right, and then the next, <laughs> and then the next thing you know, the inspector general. I mean, somebody, somebody, go write that story where you know Gibbs behaves that way, and there's realistic consequences because the civilian recorded it, put it up on YouTube, and the inspector general showed up at NCIS, and was like, "You're suspended, asshole." What the fuck? What the actual fuck? Um, but you know, here's something things I do see Gibbs doing: um, committing murder. Yes, but it, but it, but it would be justified in his mind, letting someone he loves. Get away with murder. Mm -hmm. But it would be justified in his mind. Using Tony for sex while dating a woman. I see it. I could see that. Yeah, Um, Having a sexual relationship with Tony until it became inconvenient or it looked like someone might notice. um, Dumping him and getting a woman. (laughs) Yeah. And being surprised that Tony was upset. I see that. I don't have a problem seeing that at all. I mean, because I could also see him having some internalized homophobia, but I don't see him participating in a gay bashing or, um, and if he and Tony are in a relationship, I don't see him being doing, I don't see the domestic violence thing. No, uh, I know. Even even though the head slaps set a really bad precedent, I don't actually see him like beating Tony at home. I, I think make- if he's actually in a relationship with Tony, the head slapping probably stops. Yeah, I agree. Cause that puts Tony in a different category. Yeah. I mean, there, there could be some <laughs> smacking around in the bedroom, but I think it'd be the fun kind. <laughs> we call that a smack bottom. <laughs> um, but you just have to be careful about how you, about that kind of internal consistency with your character. You know, now I could see Ziva being, if she could get away with it, I could absolutely see her attacking Tony in the bullpen. I don't, I think she would be careful to be sure she thought she could get away with it. If she wasn't certain she was going to get away with it, even if she was wrong, she wouldn't do it if she didn't have a high level of confidence that she would get away with it. But because she's attacked him in canon, there's, there's foundation for it. Um, Oh, I could see, I could see Gibbs taking it up the ass, but I think he'd be riding it. So he'd still be in charge. But I do think he probably equates being on top of being in charge. Julie, are you there? Yeah, I'm just thinking. I don't have a problem seeing Gibbs being on being bottom. But, it, yeah, it depends. I mean, if you're writing him as somebody who, um, if, he, if they're in a dysfunctional relationship, I could see him, especially if there's some internalized homophobia, I could see him refusing to bottom. Yeah. Um, but it, it just all depends upon what you're doing with his character, right? Cause and Gibbs what is, his motivations are. Right. Because Gives is one of those characters that you can turn a little bit and get something that feels consistent with canon, but that is very different, right? Just a little bit of the, a little bit of the lens that you look at him through, or the period in canon that you're talking about, or which traits you want to play up. He's a lot like Sam Carter in that way that he's very malleable. To but he's only you can only push those characters so far before you have completely taken them out of character, and it's it's kind of hard for me to make him. A decent person. Um, I worked hard on it in Ascendant. Uh, it was just—it was. I don't think that I could have written him like that even one season later. Yeah, the later in canon it gets, the harder it is. Um, I mean, I wrote him obviously as a good person and a good ally of Tony's, and it found um, that that was season three, and and then they're together in Memories, and that's season. Um, that 's between season three and season four, so i don 't necessarily agree that he would top from below I mean, that's that 's a blanket statement that he would top from below it it, it 's actually putting a damning indictment on his character that he 's not capable of really bottoming um, and if you see him that way then then that 's fine, but it I just don 't think it 's impossible to make him be that he would actually enjoy bottoming. And if I were writing him in a healthy relationship with Tony, I would want to write him where I would want to write him a little more balanced, as opposed to somebody who just has to be asserting his his dominance all the time. I do think he'd be bossy though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) He's very bossy. (laughs) Although I didn't write I think the only only way Gibbs isn't giving orders is if he's Got a ball gag. <laughs> well, now I wrote him a little bit differently in Death of Silence, which is a season eight, which is, mm-hmm. uh, but it's because of the, na- I think it, I wrote him a little bit softer because of the nature of how he got his wake-up call about their relationship, which is that Tony nearly died. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he approached everything with Tony as if Tony was very precious at that point. Um, even once their relationship was like, um, even months down the road he just looked at the whole thing he looked at tony as if tony was everything to him so there wasn't that bossy kind of um vibe about him but it it all but that that was about how their relationship got started and the circumstances and and i think that the circumstances finding out about the betrayal on his team i think dead air broke gibbs as much as it broke tony in that story um yeah i would agree i mean it, it, sh- it, it shattered Tony's faith in the people he worked with. And it, it, he, the betrayal was very real. But Gibbs suffered the same betrayal. Just, in, you know, he had to deal with it, too. It's just he didn't nearly die. So uh, I, it, it affected them. It affected both of them and how they came together and how they interacted with one another because of how their relationship got started. So, but that's internal consistency at work right there. You've got the motivations, you've got the um, perspective, you've got um, the emotional content feeding into that. And really, 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 what motivates your character is honestly the most important part of your story. Right. Because if all Gibbs is looking for from Tony is to get laid, their relationship is going to have a very different vibe than a Gibbs who has worshipped Tony from afar for you know, five or six years or whatever. I mean, I there. we've all read that story where Gibbs has been in love with Tony for years and he's just never said anything because Tony's his subordinate and all that. That's a very different Gibbs than a Gibbs who just needs to let off some steam and Tony's a convenient hole. I actually don't particularly like that vibe. No, <laughs> I, I don't either. I mean, but that's, unless it's like a, it's convenient for both of them and it's really hot and it, and it doesn't last for more than 4,000 words because sometimes I just want to read Smut, but that's different. <laughs> yeah don't give me 50k of that i'm not interested (laughs) no no one wants to read 50k of of pwp um i saw a story today that was five thousand words it was tagged as slow burn i was like well somebody just keeps somebody keeps pushing my threshold of slow burn (laughs) i mean if that's the longest thing they've ever written it probably is (laughs) it could be i guess unless unless that's like one hand job and it took you 5000 words to tell it and the person does not get to come until the last sentence okay that's i wouldn't call i'd call that chafing not slow burn chafing and um cock teasing and a couple of other inappropriately terrible words i didn't click on it cuz i'm not interested in reading something that's a 5000 word slow burn but you know there, there, there's a sweet spot on slow burn, and it's more than five thousand words, and it's way, way, way less than a hundred thousand words. <laughs> and it sure the fuck is nowhere near a million. So yeah, if if your characters aren't together by the halfway point, I mean, at least starting it, I don't even want to talk to you. Yeah, the, I would say the halfway point of a conventional novel, which is thirty k, you know. To me, well, 25K. If your characters aren't together in 25K, then I think, A, you've hit slow burn, and B, get on with it. <laughs> I mean, they should at least meet. <laughs> they need to have met, yeah. yeah. Hold hands, shake, I don't know, you know, something. Something. some curtains, something. <laughs> well, and the funny thing, is I talked to somebody one day, and I mentioned the you know I, the slow burn that was... They, they tagged it slow burn and the story was like 150k and i said oh that doesn't really work for me i don't like slow burn. and they said the story is not a romance i said then why did you tag it as slow burn i said well because you know they don't get together until after all this other stuff has happened i said but you mean there's no sexual tension up until that point where they decide to bang like a hundred thousand words in and they're like yeah i'm like well it's that's not a slow burn Slow burn no. implies something else entirely. What you're basically telling me is you have a story, like a whole story that has absolutely nothing to do with romance. And then you tacked on a relationship at the end. That's not a slow burn.
1: But I'm that's mad. okay. That, that, that I didn't might even be, read that, that and be, I'm
0: mad. That might be semantics, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> no, I can't read 30K of PWP ever. I'm never in that mood. Ever. No, I prefer short erotica. Um, I'm not really interested in in, in long form erotica in 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 fandom or otherwise. Actually, all of I I think every sex scene I've ever read that I thought was exceptional was less than a thousand words. The scene. Now there may be there may be structure around that, but when you get into thirty thousand words of sex, I'm bored out of my fucking mind. I mean, there's just so many times you can use the word thrust before it gets old. Where it f- ceases to have any thrust. And also, you have to wonder is. Is he tired yet? Because I'm tired just reading this. I mean, is he going to throw his back out? He's not a young man anymore, Rodney. He's not young anymore. <laughs> he can't be doing this for thirty minutes. It's like, you <laughs> I need just, to get I just, off. I don't want to. I don't want re- re- to read every thrust described. I just, you know, I would prefer to, you know, like gloss over, you know, the the thrust count. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like reading a BDSM story, and they put in every spank. It's like no, doing it and doing it and doing it. How how do you? I fucking hate that song. I don't, I don't even know why it came into my brain. <laughs> and did you have to put it in mine? You're welcome. <laughs> I'm calling her all kinds of nasty names in my head. You're all welcome. Like that one especially. Yeah, yeah, be <laughs> that one. I told my husband earlier. I was in okay. I was in a store that requires you to present your receipt to the person at the door to leave. Yeah, okay. Okay. All at Costco. No, it it wasn't Costco, but it was I know, you but know. that's that type of thing when you're on the yeah. at the door, you give your receipt, you get to leave. If you don't right. have a receipt, they frown at you. And make you go back to the thing. So anyways, um the three people in front of me were of color and they all got their receipts checked. I go to present my receipt and she waves me off. And so I presented it again and she waved me off again. I said, you're going to check my receipt. And she got all wide-eyed. I said, you check their receipts and you're going to check the lady behind me's receipts because she's black. So that means you're going to check my receipt as well. And I said it really loud, loud enough that her coworkers heard it. And she checked it and gave me the dirtiest looks. I came home and told my husband. And he was like, I guess she didn't expect to meet a bigger asshole than she was tonight, did she? (laughs) I said, I could teach assholery 101 and bitch 300 at Harvard. Yes, you could. (laughs) What? Hey, just because she's trying to confer white privilege on you doesn't mean you have to accept it. (laughs) Right? Asshole. I'm gonna call and complain tomorrow. I tried today, but the manager was gone. And I didn't want the night manager. Or it was the assistant manager. I said, "No, I want the actual manager." Heifer. But the lady behind me, she scoots up with me as we're as we're going through the doors, and she said, "Next time you come in here, you should steal something." I was like, "What? Like some gum?" <laughs> 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 it was ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I mean, and also it was so obvious. It was like, I mean, she wasn't even ashamed of her behavior. She didn't even try to make it look like a, or or just kind of pass me off without actually scanning the receipt. She didn't take it from me at all. It was like, it was so ugly. I I was just like, I was so offended. (laughs) You're going to treat me like everybody else, like I'm a thief. (laughs) I expect the same degree of suspicion as everybody else who comes through this line. Just because I'm an old white lady. Does not mean I'm not dangerous. <laughs> but it was just. I was really annoyed. Tawanda. That's right. Tawanda. Anyways. <clears throat> but I do think. yeah, When it comes down to. Um, uh, canon elements that. Contradict each other. That you pick the elements that best serve your character. That best serve your story. Um. And make the other elements go away. Ever how it best serves the story to do so. Whether you kill Kate. Or you know properly. Or. Properly properly. I mean I don't even know how you deal with the horcruxes. Well when it comes to a canon divergent situation. I, don't know, I mean. You know, I don't know that you can. I don't know that you can deal with them. But when it comes to. Uh, in some cases. You, with, when it comes to the horcruxes. Most people just leave the inconsistencies in place. And don't address it. And you don't I have do. to address it. I do, because you, there's... It's, it's like... It's, you don't have to you fix everything. and That isn't necessarily your function. But then recently she also came out and said that Harry wasn't actually a Horcrux. That he was a pseudo-Horcrux um, um, because Riddle didn't perform the ritual. The super complicated ritual that suddenly exists to create a Horcrux. Well, you know, this tells me that somebody is giving her the answers eventually, and she's eventually like sharing it, right? But then Sahara asks, "Well, then, why did he need to die?" Right. And if and if he wasn't a Horcrux, how come he got to come back? Is he legitimately immune to the to the killing curse? Well, it that's, actually, seems that's that the that's the implication. Yeah. So she just needs to fess up. That's all. just needs to fess up. Actually, in um, the secret war. Where Harry inherits Moody's trunk and he's a portrait. Um, he tells Harry that there's, that there's only one Horcrux, that no matter how many Riddle tried to create, he only successfully created one because you could only split your soul once. In I have a different uh Harry Potter where Ragnarok has discovered, um, and and, and he calls it a soul anchor on Harry and double World says you mean a horcrux and he says no wizards can't create horcruxes without um without us that that's that, that's goblin magic and they can't and you can't do it all that riddle has done is create soul anchors i don't know lady holder stop acting like i'm cheating on you in public <laughs> <laughs> we're in public stuff- most of the stuff she's got nobody but her has seen (laughs) I have over a hundred works in progress I have no clue if you've seen it (laughs) but yeah so I, I have chosen other ways of dealing with the horcruxes it's just really annoying that I have to right right because you can either choose to just ignore it and let it be and let the inconsistency stand and you perpetuate the canon inconsistency and there's nothing wrong with that because it's sort of like perpetuating comic book science right you don't have to write better science than marvel wrote that isn't that yeah especially if you don't really actually know how don't make it more confusing for me than it already is (laughs) Yeah. So you can let the inconsistency stand. The question is more of do you want to? If you don't want to let it stand there are ways to deal with it. And when it comes to contradictions, pick pick the canon you want, the one you like, and then just make your story internally consistent. And the pieces of canon you have to adjust to be internally consistent with that thing you picked, fine, you're still staying canon divergent as best you can you're in the spirit of canon divergence okay because the fact that they can't be consistent is not not your problem it's not your fault they can't keep it together um i think that soul anchor thing is actually in a later chapter of the pin dragon legacy to be perfectly honest so lady holder has seen most of that (laughs) and the secret war is up on ead but I think that really when it comes to the Horcruxes, the best way to deal with the inconsistency is to change how they get destroyed. Or to change what they are. Like, it's not really a Horcrux. It's a soul anchor. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's it, he's tethered. He's not. He hasn't successfully split his soul. He's a dumbass. <laughs> you know? He just thinks he did that. He didn't actually accomplish it. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do to try to be a little bit more consistent about that. Um, and one of the ways has nothing to do with the actual the horcruxes themselves. You could just make Dumbledore an evil motherfucker, more evil than he is in canon. Um, like it's, you know, it could all just be a lie, you know? It could big, be that one big, huge fucking lie. It could be that, that, that Dumbledore's intervention or his, his, that maybe Harry isn't a horcrux, that that was all just bullshit that it is something else. It could be, you, I've seen this, this plot device a lot. People just, this piece of a remnant of Voldemort's magic. It's not actually Voldemort himself, or you could do the soul leech thing. Um, or the tether or the anchor. I think it would be really interesting if actually Harry was the only Horcrux. That that one and the only time he success was with his soul is when he is when the curse backfired because he was defying, uh, because he was, he was defying a prophecy. Or trying to cancel out a prophecy and violated his own magical soul in the process. Now, we've talked about like in, um, and it, it, different fandoms have different degrees of, of canon that contradicts and how much that impacts when you change it. So anything you change about the horror cruxes has potential ripples that are fairly big or they could be relatively minor because it could actually wrap things up in a neat little bow depending upon what you do. So, you know, it's just you try to resolve the inconsistency and then just stay as true to the divergence as you can, which is figure out your ripples and, you know, what so, what your your changes, the ripples that your changes have wrought may obliterate things. And that's fine. That's that's the point of the divergence. Right. It's to see what happens. Um, other canons, you know, the changes are really they're more in the details in the background. They don't really affect the events all that much. Like trying to resolve the inconsistencies around Tony's age and about when he started at NCIS and when he, um, like everything about his timeline, his biography, trying to resolve the inconsistencies around that don't fundamentally affect canon events all that much. They change the dates a couple things happened on. But other than that, doesn't really change anything because all it is is backstory they never utilized all that much so you make it internally consistent and then you apply that internal consistency to your own story you've got an internally consistent timeline but it doesn't actually fundamentally touch canon events right canon events aren't dependent on tony's backstory getting straightened out so that's a really easy one to resolve um but You know, because you fix the date, you resolve the date uh, that Tony graduated college contradicts a line in one episode. That's not a big deal because your story is internally consistent. Teen Wolf, on the other hand, um, it could have huge ramifications when you pick which canon event, which canon element you're going to go with and disregard the thing that contradicts it. And you just have to work it out so that your story, your internal narrative makes sense. I know I'm muted. I was talking to Ellie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're talking about in the chat room about um, what if um, Tom Riddle did gain his body um, during um, the Chamber of the Secrets. And it's my headcanon that if that had happened, that Voldemort would have just merged with a part of his soul that was in that body. Or he could have taken that body because it would have been his, ejected the other Horcrux and put it back in an object. It's not inconsistent with with his abilities for him to do so. Because we know that he's perfectly capable of riding Ryan Horcrux. Of course, I don't know when the genie became a Horcrux. Well, it's when they killed Bertha Jorkins, right? Right. So he wasn't in her at that time. But I think he'd be perfectly capable of taking over the, um, the younger body. Or merging with that part of the Horcrux. Because it was the biggest part of his soul. That was his first split well at that point once it once it attains a physical form it's not really a horcrux anymore is it no well i don't know i mean that would be kind of my take on it is that i it's, mean it's if a horcrux is just part of the human soul then yes well but a horc- to me a horcrux, changed his vessel but to me a horcrux is sort of a non-interactive part of a soul that's stuck in a vessel it's like it's contained it's stored
1: so once, it's no long- once, that no- once that horcrux it's
0: no longer- was interactive well, but was but was it the Horcrux that was interactive, or was that the charms on the diary? Well, he was able to tell Harry and Ginny both ex- explicit stories from Tom Riddle's past. But that could be data in the diary. And the locket interacted with Ron and Harry. Well, it influenced them. It didn't really interact with them, did it? Oh, uh, it told Ron. I know all of your secrets. The least yeah, that- loved son. He. He dug deep into Ron's psyche and spoke to him. Yeah, that's that's an inconsistency because the Locket did that and their diary did that. We don't know what the the diadem would have done or what the cup would have done because they were both destroyed. Um, we, We know the ring was cursed and it had some kind of compulsion on it. Or maybe just Dumbledore was just completely obsessed with the resurrection stone. I think I would put it to the point that I think that I that if the soul is contained, it may have some level of ability to interact, but it can only interact like if you're touching it. It doesn't have any ability to move and interact on its own. I mean, you have to be in contact with it. it. It has to have proximity to you. You have to be giving it magic of some sort for it to do something, which to me is distinctly different than the... That cursed thing, whatever was going on when the diary was draining jenny's life force, if it had, if it, if he had, if it had resulted in a physical form, to me at that point, that would have become like more than a Horcrux. It is not a vessel that is. It is not a a piece of soul that is being contained. It it would have been another magical construct, just like the body that Pettigrew created. Well, we don't actually. I mean, it doesn't really explain what that was. what, What was being created there? But yeah, it could have been like a type of magical construct but at that point it becomes the horcrux becomes this the soul that animates that thing so that what is it at that point is it it's 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 a little it's a little inexplicable what what it is when you've got a magical construct that's animated by an actual half of someone's soul it's more voldemort than voldemort is because he's got more soul than that construct has more soul than the homunculus that Voldemort ultimately crafted himself. Does that make him more dangerous or less dangerous? Question. Um, and would that... We, the theory is, is that you can reunite um, re- all the pieces it, by showing remorse. Um, obviously, he wouldn't have any remorse. But if... I think that probably isn't the only way you can put your soul back together. I wouldn't think so. Now, I wrote it in one story that... Um, the soul wants to be together that it doesn't take much more than proximity and them being untethered to their things, you know, that they, they were locked in those, in those pieces to keep them apart. And that it doesn't take much more than them being unlocked. You know, the object of that. I was <laughs> like, see <laughs> Queenie. Soul <of> tape. <laughs> that they want to be back. The soul wants to be together. That's its natural state is to be in one piece. And so that if you put those pieces of soul untethered to those physical objects in proximity to one another, they're gonna remerge. So it's your headcanon that when Harry destroyed the diary, the part of Harry's the part of Voldemort's soul that was in the diary went into Harry. Yeah. In Mine that too. story, yes. Yeah. That that's story, actually yes. my total headcanon. That's that, for me, that's the reason why after that, later on, his nightmares of Voldemort got so much worse. It's because he has so much more Voldemort. Because he had such a strong, he had a very strong connection with Voldemort after that. If you look at it, so if you look at it, like, so if, let's say there's, so you've got seven pieces of Voldemort out there, right? There's, it's, it's Voldy pie out there. He's been divided up and pieces of him are tethered. And you go, which one is actually Voldemort, right? well you could say okay it's the one that's bound into his original body okay well his original body is destroyed so which one is the actual original voldemort well it's the biggest piece okay well the biggest piece is the one in the diary but it's tethered to a thing okay well it's the untethered piece which means the asshole that's in albania right but then what happens is if you wind up with that with that that thing that that magical construct gets half the soul And what if it attracts the fragment that's in Harry, too? It would. It would now have more than 50% of the soul. It would be tethered into something that is living and breathing. Is that now Voldemort? There's an interesting story in the fandom, actually, where all the Horcruxes get get bodies. (laughs) And they're running around. And one of the Horcruxes ends up in um, Sybil. And of course, the Horcrux is furious to be in Sybil, of all people. Of all people. <laughs> He's in Sybil. And worse, the other one another one ends up in Frank Vice, the guy that he killed in canon. And Sybil and Frank keep getting it on. Ew. And neither one of the Horcruxes can just deal with this. They're just like, kill me. Just kill me now. Just kill me. Yeah, it's very cracky. It's very cracky. So. But you, I think you could, and somebody could um, yeah, yeah, it is Robes. Um Robst Robst. I've always pronounced it Robst, but it might be Robst. I have no idea. Well his first <laughs> name is Robert, so I would assume. Robst Robst? Robst. Yeah, Robst. Robst. I'm still gonna pronounce it Robst. It's stuck in my head that way. <laughs> um uh, but what I mean, if you had when I mean, you ask the question, is the younger Voldemort that younger you know, fifty fifty plus percent of Voldemort? more or less dangerous in some ways more because more magically powerful but in some ways less because younger yeah he's power hungry but he's not completely psychotic yet right but he has already committed a murder a murder a murder (laughs) just one just one little murder well for fucking sake Gibbs committed multiples I mean (laughs) we tolerate his ass (laughs) some less than others (laughs) He is less insane, but he probably is also not as powerful as adult Voldemort was. Yeah. Um, And also, I think at that age, he'd probably have a hard time getting his followers to follow him. Yeah, because they'd probably just want to pat him on the head and go, call him a grown-up. Because they've got kids close to his age. It's like, I'm not here for it, actually. You're going to have to grow up. Can we get a potion, Severus? Can you... <laughs> Can- I, I need an aging potion. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. Aging potions don't work on magical constructs. You're going to have to grow up the old-fashioned way. Everybody's getting tortured over that. <laughs> so, it, 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 it becomes- can't have been an accidental murder because per JK Rowling, in order to create a horcrux, you have to do a specific ritual, which means he set Myrtle up to be murdered in order to create a horcrux of her murder because he did do so with the diary. But- um that is, to me, that was always one of the big first canon inconsistencies. Because in Chamber of Secrets, it was framed like it was an accident. And then when she introduced that crazy Horcrux plotline, she made the Diary of Horcrux. And it felt like it was a retcon that didn't make any sense. Well, per canon sources, the, the Diary was in fact an actual Horcrux. We don't have to like it, or accept it, but it is canon. Now, so how do you so how do you deal with that fact, right? If you wanted to not have that be a fact, you just have it be a lie. Right? It's not that it never happened. You just have it be a lie that all that stuff that, that 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 uh Dumbledore taught Harry about the Horcruxes and stuff, you just have it be a lie. Maybe in that case an unintentional lie. Maybe that Tom Riddle really didn't know what he was doing that first time and he thought that that accidental murder would be enough, but it wasn't. And so he didn't create a horcrux with the diary he created an anchor or a tether or a leech well what if that's all tom riddle was ever trying to do was give his soul anchor points in order to be able to stay tethered to the earth to stay tethered to reality so that and he created so many of them um, because a he had the magic to do it he had no because let's say it takes a significant amount of your magic to stay tethered to an anchor right What if he just had the power to burn and so he anchored himself repeatedly and Dumbledore is a dodo brain and is just spreading misinformation. And also that maybe that goes back to my theory about Harry being the only Horcrux and that he had anchored so much of his soul that when the curse rebound happened because he violated the prophecy, because Harry wasn't an adult, adult, he tried to do an end round on the prophecy and the prophecy punished him, um, that that actually created the one and only Horcrux he's got. And Voldemort is based, I mean, in Riddle, blah, 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 and Dumbledore is basing the whole Horcrux thing on what he suspects of Harry's scar. Yeah, that, that'd be interesting. So, I like that. So, Voldemort, when he's hit with the killing curse, his soul is so firmly anchored that, that the, the piece that fractures winds up in Harry. It, I like, it like, rips, it tears. It's like, you know? Yeah, it rips away. So that's the only one. And the rest are just soul anchors. And that until Voldemort gets a body, that it's really important that he have those anchors. So based on this idea, if you could destroy all the anchors before he gets a body, he'll, he'll the only thing standing between him and death is the Horcrux and Harry's scar. Which, you know, there are a couple options. Um, you can get the gobbles to remove it. You could ask a Dementor really, really nicely to not to kiss you have- on the mouth. <laughs> yeah, could you just could you just limit your affection right to right here on my forehead? Right here, just a little, just it's a little like, forehead kiss. It's like a bro <laughs> hug, except I'd like you to take this soul out of my head. Just just this one part. <laughs> Hermione's gonna supervise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, whole, there is actually a story where hermione and harry negotiate with the, the the leader of the dementors and um because harry's the uh master of death and um they agree the um the dementor agrees to take the horcrux out of his head so you could also do a um like a different spin on the dementors you could have a like in third year when they first encounter the dementors that a dementor gets close to Harry because it doesn't understand why it feels two souls in him. And um, maybe there's a Dementor Queen and um, it goes to its queen and it explains and the Dementor Queen comes to visit Harry which probably freaks him the fuck out but she just leans down and gives him a little kiss on the forehead because it's an unnatural state and so she takes the soul leech away. You didn't need that. (laughs) That was bothering you. Sorry about the nightmares you're going to have for the rest of the week. (laughs) Visit Madame Pomfrey. (laughs) I know this is a horrifying way to have this resolved, but there you go. (laughs) Um, I also read one once where um, the Dementor on the train dislodged the Horcrux and Harry absorbed it. And thus absorbed all of Voldemort's memories. What do you mean he absorbed it? That it sank into his magic. Ew. Ew. So it wasn't contained in his scar anymore. Mm-mm. and well, that's horrifying. And Luna goes out into the forest and comes back with a unicorn. And the unicorn helps, pur- like, purify his magic or something. So he doesn't end up dark like Riddle. <laughs> it's interesting. I just wouldn't personally take the... I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, completely tape someone just to purify them. That kind of... I find that kind of... They wanted to give Harry experience and memories to fight Riddle. I think oh. that was the point. Um, I also read one once where um, the the Horcrux and Harry woke up and recognized that they were in a terrible situation. And he's kind of pissed because he's in this terrible situation with Harry. <laughs> and he gets really mad at Dumbledore and he starts teaching Harry <laughs> some really horrible things he should not be teaching a kid. Um, So the the, um, the Harry Potter that Dumbledore gets is not the one he expected. <laughs> He's a little hardcore for Hogwarts. <laughs> having been tutored by the Dark Lord for like six years. <laughs> but actually, my, my, actually my, my actual favorite Harry Potter story is the one where he keeps running away from home. And um, they keep bringing him back and like memory charming him because he keeps um, because he keeps discovering magic. And at one point he runs away with some hooligans to to watch football. Um, And (laughs) Minerva has to come get him because they beat up Dumbledore for trying to take him because they they thought he was a a pervert. (laughs) And she um, she agrees to go with them to a game. And apparently Harry's really mad because she won't teach him how to groin stomp, and she makes him give back the necklace of e- of ears that one of the the hool- the hooligans had given him. He had a necklace of ears. <laughs> I'm not sure what I think about a story where Harry's memory <laughs> charmed over and over again. It, it was terrible, but it was crack. Um, I don't. Um, the, the 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 Harry Hunt or. The Great Harry Hunt, or uh, something like that. Um, I mean, honestly, one of the things that would, in Harry Potter crack is it can go too far for me. It can go to the yeah. place that even though it's crack, it's disgusting, and I just can't. There's actually a couple of very popular writers I won't read at all because their crack appalls me. The groin stomping was pretty funny though, but she agreed to teach him later. I think if I were to do kind of something kind of crackish. I would have like a first year of Voldemort meet Harry, maybe in the pub, like in the pub when he was on the back of Quirrell's head. And was he on the back of Quirrell's head then? He was right. Yeah. Cause they had just, they were about to try to rob the bank. Right. Okay. So he, what if he recognizes his Horcrux in Harry? It's always a stupid to me that he didn't recognize his Horcrux, but whatever. What if he recognizes his Horcrux in Harry and he realizes this is the wizard that is supposed to be my equal And the thing that is keeping me tethered to life is in his head. And so what he does instead is he orders the Death Eaters to get Harry and give him the best life possible to train him to be as magically powerful as he possibly can be. Because as long as nobody can kick Harry Potter's ass, Voldemort lives forever. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense, right? If Voldemort was a clear thinking bad guy, he'd want Harry Potter to be as big a badass as humanly possible. <laughs> and to be like really assertive and be like, no, you're not fucking with me. No one's shooting, me. No one's shooting a killing curse at my head. bitch. Well, you know, this, this actually could be why um, Voldemort was so invested in Harry's education. It could be. But what if he goes, instead of going and trying to get that stone, he's like, okay, he goes and gets Lucius and said, you're about to adopt Harry Potter. Find a way. You're going to treat him well. You're going to make sure that he is the best dueler on the planet. I want the best possible magical education for him. And no, you are not sending him to Hogwarts. We're not having him anywhere near Dumbledore. Send him to France with all the pretty girls. He needs that. <laughs> Send your son with him. <laughs> he needs a vassal. Make it so. <laughs> And so Harry, who has no clue about Voldemort at this point, is taken off and given a better life. And he thinks the Death Eaters are the bomb because they treat him so nice. And they took him from this home that Dumbledore put him in, where he was treated awful for 10 years. And so he thinks, you know, Dumbledore is Satan because Dumbledore put him through all of this just to defeat these nice Death Eaters. <laughs> giving him such They're a They're really nice good him. And, and look at these really nice clothes they gave me. They, they bought him his own underwear. <laughs> Which is super important. <laughs> I have my own shoes. They fit. These people are awesome. I mean, of course, there has to be the big secret there, right? Of course, it's implicit that Harry can't ever find out that, you know, some, some certain truth. But that's hardly the point. <laughs> we'll just blame it all on and, and, the, and the solution to everything we will just find a way to blame it on Dumbledore because he's already set the precedent of doing a bunch of shitty stuff. So you know we'll just say you know it wasn't actually Voldemort who killed your parents. It was actually Dumbledore who did it because at that point that could be the party line. Just blame it on Dumbledore. That's that's well, what we Well, you did. know, Dumbledore tricked me into doing it, Harry. I didn't mean to do it. It was it was it was an accident, and um, it was all Dumbledore's fault. I mean he he tricked us all. He lied. He's such a liar. I was trying to protect you, Harry. I was told they were keeping you hostage. I didn't realize they were your parents. I don't know why Dumbledore told us that lie. Dumbledore cursed me. I was, I was under the Imperius. I was under the Imperius. He, he was feeding me compulsion potions, you know, and obedience and loyalty potions all through my years at Hogwarts. That's why we didn't want to send you there. I have read in all, yeah. I had read fix where Dumbledore actually created Tom Riddle as a dark lord to further his fame. And he got out of his control. So fate had to actually send down someone who could take care of Dumbledore's problem that he had made. Yeah, I've definitely read quite a lot of dark Dumbledore stories where he was behind everything. Um and the thing is, you can actually write that and actually write Canon Divergence because all you have to do, Harry didn't witness any of the events, right, that are in question. Harry didn't witness any of those. They were all told seen through pensives or, or whatever. He was told by Dumbledore. He was told by other people. So you can actually just have the narrative be that it's all a lie, that there are no horcruxes, that Voldemort, that Voldemort isn't even the one who killed his parents, that it could have been somebody else completely. It could have been a member of the Order of the Phoenix. You know, I mean, you can, you can, because the story is so told through Harry's point of view, and Harry is so incurious, it is really easy to change the narrative and not actually, and still be canon divergent, because all you have to do is say that Harry was lied to, that all those canon facts, quote unquote, are lies. In The Black Dragon... Of which there is a sample on EAD. The prophecy is not about Voldemort. The prophecy is, in fact, about Dumbledore. Yeah, there are quite a f- there are quite a few stories I've read where the prophecy is about Dumbledore. It's, and and it's Dr. a good Moral as well. Yeah, it's a good Cause trope. He, fit. he fits because he's an asshole. You well, know, honestly, in a lot of ways, it's like characters like Dumbledore who are so much more offensive because of the the deceptives. Um, the deception. Yeah, Riddle's an asshole, but he makes no bones about it. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't hide. Well, except for that year he hid under the turban. But even then, he was an asshole. He was real vicious to quarrel <laughs> I mean, he killed unicorns. He wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> so he wasn't pretending ice. to be. An, you know, he, he, he wasn't pretending to be this this um benevolent, benevolent blah, blah blah benevolent benevolent Thank you for fuck's sake. Grandfather running a school. Taking care of all these little children. And you know. He, he never told Harry Potter any lies. And it's also why it makes. Um, the story where the Dementor causes the Horcrux to absorb into Harry. Is called the Partially Kissed Hero. And you can find it on fanfiction.net. Um, <clears throat> and the story with the Harry Hunt. And the groin stopping. Is called Let's Do the Time Warp Again. And it's also on fanfiction.net because that's honestly where I find most of my Harry Potter fiction um, to read. Okay, The Partially Kissed Hero is almost 500,000 words. Mm-hmm. I just blinked a few times. I mean, <laughs> but you know, I don't, I don't have to worry about it personally because I'm still saving myself for Kira. So, <laughs> you know, as, as alluring as some of these stories might sound, I'm totally saving myself. <laughs> she doesn't want to <laughs> okay so i had 3 stores to go to today i went to 2 i went to um uh well i had to go to the doctor and then i went to um costco and then i went to walmart and i was supposed to go to lowes and my husband asked me um why i hadn't gotten the stuff at lowes i said look i blew my wad between <laughs> costco and walmart i'm done for the day he's like I don't think you know you you know what blow your wad really means. I thought I'm using it correctly. <laughs> I blew my wad, I used all my spoons, I'm done. That was the wad I had with a fistful <laughs> of spoons, buddy. <laughs> and they're gone. <sighs> Favorite SGA insertion points. It depends on what you want to do. If you want to... Um, I think that one of my main goals going into any in SGA fan fiction is to prevent the creation of Michael. Um, God, it's yes. heinous. It's heinous. I would also like to prevent Duranda. Um, especially the fallout of Duranda. If not actually Duranda, but the fallout is disgusting. Um, I like to prevent Ford from... Going, getting addicted to the Wraith Enzyme. Yeah, because that, let's get rid of the person of color by making him a drug addict. That's I, I, good writing. I'm fine, but I don't actually, I don't really enjoy Ford as a character all that much. But, so I'm fine rotating him back to Earth, but I just don't want him to go out as a drug addict. You know, that just... It's so rude. Also, also I have a really hard time with that plot hole of him flying the jumper. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a canon contradiction. Ford did not have the ATA gene. He should not have been able to fly that jumper out of the city without a hostage. Yeah, so and the gene therapy did not work on him, so um uh, there's some points in season one that, depending upon what I want to do, are good points um to kind of interrupt. Um, but I do find there's more uh, more potential in season in season two. Uh, for divergent points to go ahead and let them get back in touch with earth and da 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 da, but the other really good divergent points before the expedition even leaves right, right? Um, that that 's definitely a favorite is to get the expedition better set um, but also I would have to say my second favorite my favorite being my favorite being before they leave, and my second favorite would be right after they get there, because I have so many plot ideas that center around um, John taking control of the expedition. After, or Sumner even. We did that drift recently, mm-hmm. which I thought I really enjoyed some of the ideas we came up with. And that's one that I'll have to re-listen to because I have no idea which plot was mine, which was yours. But anyway. Um, <laughs> me neither. But you can have but, whatever you want. <laughs> thank you. But Gilly comes, can I can have what she <laughs> wants. But when it comes to, you know, so I find that that right around the beginning of the expedition, which putting it into military control instead of Elizabeth, um I think that's a particularly interesting point right there. And so, and it would allow me, of course, to implicitly deal with, you know, because assume if I'm writing anything that occurs before the end of season one, the Ford is not going to wind up. He might die. That's a possibility, but I would not have him wind up. I think addict. it would have been a better service for his character if he had died saving a scientist or something. Um, um, but to have him go out the way he did was disgusting. Yeah. So rude. So. So implicitly, even if I don't get that far, it's Ford would either die or get rotated back to Earth. You know, I don't think he's a fit for the expedition, really. But in any case, I just wouldn't have it happen that way. So I think that's something I would want to fix. It's a personal pet peeve, so I'd fix that. But my two favorite points are before they leave and and after they encounter the Wraith at at the beginning of Season 1. Those are my personal favorite points because I just find so many events that, Stem from Elizabeth being controlled to be super frustrating, and those are the things I'd want to change. But again, it all depends on what you want to accomplish. so if, if 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 your plot is better served by a divergence in season two, then then there's not a then there's really like no point in backing your divergence all the way up to season one. even if you have to live with some of those shitty decisions decisions of Elizabeth. But that's not to say that you couldn't open up a season two canon divergent, with was, was Sumner still being alive. Because that would tell your reader that the canon divergent has already happened. hmm Sumner could be in charge. He could be in command. Or he could be a wrinkly old dude in the infirmary. You know, I mean, it just depends on what you want to do with that. I mean, if he's not too far gone, he could still actually be in charge with John being the field commander. Um, yeah, he could he could have stepped down and effect, be effectively acting as the administrator of the city, even though he would... Because I don't think Sumner would have let Elizabeth Weir stay in charge. Not for a second. Nope. It'd be Not really for interesting. A second. I think that the Marines and John would be very protective of Sumner if he had survived a feeding and was kind of old. I also think it would probably be once they realized, once John got fed on and got, got it all back, I think their number one goal would be to catch a race and make it Fix Sumner. The question becomes: is it, Does it have to be the race that fed on him, or can it be any race? I'd have to double-check the canon on that one, but I would think it would be. Well, so, so John gets fed on because the Genai capture him off-world. It wasn't like Weir negotiated his um, turning him over to the Janai or something. He was ca- um, he was captured during a mission. They were hunting right. for him. But if if Sumner's been in charge all along, they might not have even encountered the Janai in the same way. They might not have the Janai may not have the same axe to grind against John. I mean, the ripples yeah, it, of it, it really depends. Can be huge. It, really it depends. could be that, it could be that it, it did happen very much the same way because Taylor could still reasonably suggest them as a trading partner. Um, John could still be the one going on the mission. Although if he's the military commander, if he's actually like. In Sumner's place, I don't know that Sumner would allow him to be on a first contact team like that. Well, um, I think that Sumner probably would not give up his position as military commander and he would see John as his representative in the field. I was thinking about a Sumner who has been fed on. Who's like I mean, I guess it would depend on how, um, how deep the feeding went. How infirm he was, yeah. Right. But if, if, he, if he saw John as his second in command, then yeah, John could be out there. And that could go very much the same way, except Sumner's willingness to negotiate with the Janai would be very different. Right. It'd be very different than what Elizabeth was willing to do. I mean, that hostage situation would have gone down a lot differently because Sumner would have just sent a whole bunch of Marines over there to get his people back. And it would have been a bloodbath. Which yeah. could actually make the Janai worse. Could make them worse, or it could take out a couple of key people, and then they're better. I would like to see Koila... I, I always fuck his name up. Um, Kolya? Dead a lot sooner. <laughs> than he is in yeah, canon. Right? <laughs> but the other thing is that I, I would think that one of the things that Jani would be really furious about was not even how things went on their planet, but how things went when they attempted to take over the city. And the, the question would up, be, would, would, would they be given that opportunity? Would Sumner allow Athosians not. to have IDCs? Absolutely not. And I think that's one of the big changes, is aside from the fact that the Athosians, even if they gave the Athosians access to their Alpha site, which I think they would, the Athosians wouldn't have IDCs to dial the- They probably They probably wouldn't allow anybody to come directly to the city unless they were coming from the Alpha site. Right, exactly. And so, assuming the Denai took over the Alpha site, you can bet you the Marines who, who handle that gate are not going to use their IDCs to put the Denai through. There's no way. Which means they put through a, um, an emergency code. We're fucked. We've been taken over. We got a foothold. Um, so, it gets denied, and whoever comes through that gate doesn't make it. They turn right. around, dial it back, go through the Alpha gate, and take care of who was over there.
1: Though honestly, they
0: probably wouldn't have left many people behind at the Alpha Site, because they were desperate to take the city. So most of them would have probably come through the wormhole. Yeah. So, it's a matter of, you know, things would change quite a bit if Sumner was in command, and it could make things with the Janai better, it could make them worse, it could make them... But one of the things that Janai don't get, in my opinion, one of the big ripples, is they don't ever get the city. Not even for a little while. I don't think they ever set foot on it. And honestly... They might not even know it exists. Because its operational security was so lax. And mm-hmm. I don't think Sumner would buy that. I'm not sure he'd be on board with that. No, I don't think he'd be on board with it either. They could actually spin the tale that they, um, they traveled here looking for the lost city. And that they're still trying to find it. That could actually be their cover story. Is they're still trying to find the lost but city. But they would have to depend on the, the Athosians that are moving around on other worlds trading to keep that secret yeah and it stands to reason that one of the reasons why that the jenna even knew about the city is because one of the ethosians told him told them yeah you know. so my favorite points for exploring ripples and the uh, the change in the story and the, and the potential change and how because i would i like the dramatic effect of what that could change is, is before they leave and then right after they arrive i find those to be really good points and it's not because the whole series needs to be overwritten it's just because those are really powerful points but if you don't need those points to be changed if the what you're trying to accomplish is about a divergence later in the series there are a lot of other good points but let's say i was doing something that was i wanted to change something that happened pretty close to duranda just to satisfy my own myself i probably would still change the events of duranda even if even if my my event my thing happened a little bit later in the series like maybe just two or three episodes later i probably would still change duranda just because it's just such an ugly thing very very ugly i actually almost stopped watching the show over duranda trinity it just didn't make a lot of sense it just was like that's not the way that works and weirdly i would think that if sumner were in charge in that in that I don't think that a military commander and that's why it was weird that John took it so personally, is because I don't think that um Caldwell or Caldwell Sumner, Yeah, Caldwell didn't take it he didn't take it badly. I mean, yeah, of course they didn't want it to go badly, but it wasn't like it was a personal affront when it did go badly. They had John take it personally instead of viewing it professionally, which is bad writing. Yeah. And so I don't think Sumner would take that situation, even if it happened, I don't think it would, Sumner would take it personally. He'd be like, okay, well, let's review protocol for how we handle this kind of thing in the future. Let's, let's get a, you know, I want to see the report on, on all the data you gathered um, from the machine because we, we need to understand what we're looking at if we encounter ancient weapons in the future. So experimental ancient weapons in the future, so get to work. He would not hold it as a, as a professional failing on Rodney's part that he failed to get a weapon to work that the ancients couldn't get to work so and also probably and this is crazy i imagine that sumner has more experience with science than weirdos just by the grace of the fact that he's been in the sgc yeah and potentially at area 51 overseeing Mm -hmm. a lot of crazy science so those are all i find interesting points of change um
1: She's not and even if I, she
0: is a diplomat but she's not even a good one of those. She really wasn't a very good diplomat. I mean, who decides that you can negotiate with a species that that thinks you're food? That literally thinks you're food. Yeah. Like how does that even work? I mean, if there was a rise in sapient cows, I could see how they would not want to negotiate with us. They would they, would, they, they just, wouldn't they wouldn't want to talk to us. They would just it'd be cows with guns, right? <laughs> I knew you were did gonna you- go there. I can almost hear it coming out of your mouth before it did. <laughs> I saw a really great meme the other day that said "Eat more chicken," and then it's and then the other cow said, "But not Chick Fil A because my sister's gay." <laughs> <clears> this <throat> is very funny. If you've not if you've not listened to cows with guns, you need to go over to YouTube and put in cows with guns.
1: I, I, linked link. I linked them
0: up. I linked him up because the animation's funny as fuck. And the the chickens eventually kind of saved the day, you know. But it was just and but the lyrics. The lyrics just do me in. Fantastic. Um <clears throat> is the topic exhausted because I got a peek. I think the, I think the topic is exhausted. I think, I think that the I think the only struggle with a lot of times with figuring out where you're going to start your story is a lot about more often than not it's when you don't know exactly what kind of story you want to tell, and and nailing that down can help really help you figure out where you start it. And so like even if you've got an idea, you still if you don't really know the the if you don't know that theme if you don't know what story kind of, kind exactly what lens you want to tell this story through. That lack of focus can make it feel like it's really hard to pin down what you're, where to start. And, and so pinning down a start point may still not solve your problem. You really have to nail down that focus. But also, if you're having a hard time finding your start, ask yourself where you want your characters to be at the end. Where do you want them? Who do you want to be with them? And then you ask yourself, how do I get my characters from their canon circumstances to what I want for them to have for their ending. Because one of the last questions I asked myself. After I got my plot worked out. Is okay. Where do I want my characters? And did I get my characters there? Is there anything left preventing their happily ever after? Dangling. Is there anything dangling? And if there's not. I'm done. And if there is. I got to plot some more. Or pants a penguin. One of the two. <laughs> Nothing wrong with pantsing a penguin. <laughs> but if you don't have any questions. Leave my part let my participles dangle. Sometimes you just gotta let it dangle. You just gotta let it swing in the breeze. Um <laughs> You guys have a fantastic night. <laughs> and we'll catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.